Uh, praise the Lord. I hope you all will forgive me for letting it already be 1.15. We're supposed to start at 1, and Ty said, we need to get started. It's past time to start. I was just talking to different people and having such a good time. I was having a healing school anyway, you know, so praise the King. So praise the Lord. It's great uh, that we're all here uh, today, and, you know, it makes no difference. Rain, shine, sleet, or snow, I will be here. You know, this young lady back here, she said, they come from Odessa. And somebody says, you know, he may not be there today. She said, oh, yeah, I've listened to his CDs. I believe that man will be there. And let me tell you, I worked in the airline industry for years and years. And when it got the worst, that's when I had to be there. You know, I was, I was the director of engineering. And it made, on these kind of days, when you had problems, that occurred with equipment and and people and everything else, that's when if nobody else showed up, you had to be there. So, hey, if I can do that for the world, I can sure be at a heathen school for Jesus. Yeah, so there ain't nothing, you know. Like I said, you know, when somebody says, are you going to have a healing school today? I say, does a bear live in the woods? Absolutely, I'm going to be at the healing school. You know, so guarantee you there ain't bears or nothing else can keep me away. We're going to be here. No, even with a few complications. I get here and the skylight had leaked in on our CDs back there. And uh, we've got a pretty good stack back there that's got the folders wet. And some of the ones that had the, the printed material or on the white facing on them, I didn't realize that when they got wet, it uh, looked like that's coming off. So... We've got a little bit of a problem back there, but, you know, that's just part of life. You know, everybody's got troubles on this earth. Have you all noticed that? Yes. Everybody's got problems. Uh, is there anything we can't overcome in the name of our King? No, nothing. You know, nothing. But He's put these trials and tests out here to see how we're going to fare. So let's come to the King in prayer, and we'll get started on the healing school. Father, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for this beautiful, glorious, magnificent day that you have made. Lord, we know we have to have rain, and we're grateful for the rain. And we know we have to have ice because, and cold weather because it, it's part of the cycle that causes everything to work that I don't even begin to understand. But I know you do, and I know that's why we have hot and cold and, you know, everything. You said we'll have all these things forever. It'll never cease. And, Lord, as long as the earth is here. And you said the earth is going to be here forever. So, Lord, I thank you for these great things. I praise you, Lord, that you send the cold. I praise you that you send the snow and the ice because it brings different things into effect. And, and also people, whenever they use common sense, they can go and have lots of fun in the snow. The children can play in the snow, and it's so beautiful. And, Lord, we thank you for all these things, all that can be a real hindrance to some things. But sometimes, Lord, you just put that there to let us just slow down and see that you're God. And, Lord, we're so grateful that you are God. And it's, we're grateful that you're our God, our Lord, our Savior, our Healer, our Deliverer, our Provider. And, Father, we're grateful that you give us your Word, the mighty Word of the living God, the Word that tells us who you are. That what you require, that what you like and what you don't like, what you will do and what you won't do, 
We have it all right here in the Word of God. And Father, I thank you and I praise you for these mighty things that we have today. Now, Lord, as we talk about your Word today, I ask you to anoint us for the Holy Ghost and power. I rebuke the enemy so he don't steal a word out of our minds and hearts because I know he'll be there to do that because I know he's sent to do that. So, but I know we have power over him. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I rebuke the enemy. Command him to take all of his critters to get out of here and not steal a single word out of any of our minds or hearts today. And, Father, we ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you lock into our minds and our hearts the things of God so we will not sin against you. So we will walk holy in obedience to your word. And so we can walk in the life abundant that you have provided. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise the King. Welcome, welcome. Y'all come in. Praise the King. Come in. Welcome to the healing school. People are still coming in. So see there, I didn't get started too late. We still got people coming in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And due to the weather and everything else, we may have people coming in even a little while later. But that's okay. We are here and we're ready to go. Now then, there are some things about the Word of God. God is continuing to reveal to me more and more and more. The more I spend time in the Word with Him, the more He reveals to me in His Word. And I guess that's true for all of us. You know, if you start reading the book and leaving what you read, you know, you're going to realize that this little story of grace that you've been hearing in the church for the last few decades, that God's gracious and He's merciful. You can walk down the aisle and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're eternally saved and you can go out and do anything you want to do and God understands. That's not the Bible that I read. That's not the Bible that I read at all. And the reason I started asking this question, I guess as an engineer, I always wanted to know, even when we, even in aircraft engineering, if we ever had an airplane crash, and we have had a few, we don't just say, well, that one just didn't work out and we'll build another one. No, we went out and found all the pieces we could find. We put that beast back together, piece by piece, looking for the problem, what caused this thing to crash. Was it a pilot error? Was it a mechanical error? Was it an electronics error? What was it that caused this machine to fail? Sometimes we would find the answer. Sometimes we wouldn't. <coughs> I think about one I had put together in Japan. I worked on this airplane when I was in the Air Force. It was an F-105. And I still remember the captain's name. It was Anderson. Captain Anderson. I remember the day the guy got in the airplane. We had just had the tail off of it. I'd put an uh, automatic uh, uh, flight control valve in the back of the machine that the whole tail had to be removed to get that valve. I put the valve in it. <coughs> they put the tail back on it. We checked everything and everything seemed to work perfect. Well, him and a wingman <coughs> get together in another F-105 
And they take off, and they're doing about a 500-foot run at about 500 miles an hour right down the river there. And they're talking with each other. They're just looking at the countryside, flying along there 500 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, the guy that's talking to Anderson, he don't respond. And he looks back, and he was right beside him. And he ain't there. And he comes back around and looks, and back there about... Ten miles is a mass of burning fire. And that was his airplane. At 500 feet above the ground, at 500 miles an hour, something happened. And he hit the ground. Why? Was it pilot error? You know, there was no complications that we knew of. But all of a sudden, this guy and a piece of equipment is totally destroyed. The man is dead, obviously, you know, because it's nothing. I mean, you. So anyway, we go back out there and we search that whole area and we pick up that entire airplane in pieces. And we bring it back to the hangar and we spend weeks reassembling the pieces, laying them out. And what we finally found was on the rod, the control rod that goes back to the back to the entire stabilator situation that makes it go up and down. There's a rod that goes in there. There's a big bolt that goes through it. It's got a nut on it and it was supposed to be put in from the top down and then it had a clip hanging there with a big safety pin that when you put this nut on there, you put the pin through a hole and it locked in to hold the nut to keep the nut from coming off. We found the end of the rod. We found the pin, and it was still clipped together, but there was no bolt and no nut. So we finally figured what happened. The guy, the mechanic that put it back together, put the bolt in from the bottom, put the nut on the top, and failed to put the safety pin in it. That's all he messed up on, one little thing. Without the safety pin in it, the vibration from the airplane caused the nut to slowly vibrate off. When the nut came off and he moved the control just a tiny bit where there was no pressure, the bolt fell out. When the bolt fell out, it turned the stabilizer loose and it happened to go to full down, full down. So he's flying at 500 miles an hour, and all of a sudden it's like you push the yoke full forward as hard as you could, and the airplane went straight into the ground at 500 miles an hour toward all the pieces. Now we know why it did that. Not that it cost the man his life. It cost a piece of equipment. So in all of these things that I did, and all these airplanes and all these engineering problems that I've experienced in life, there's always been a cause. It don't just accidentally happen. There's always a cause for everything. So I got to thinking, I wonder why this man's sick and this one's not. I wonder why this one believes in Jesus and this one does not. See, I'm, I got a mechanical engineering mind. I want to know why. I want to know why if I walk up to a precious lady like Cheryl here and she's lost 
And I tell her about the best thing that ever happened to me, and it's Jesus Christ, and about this wonderful thing that Jesus has done for us. And I tell her about this, and I said, wouldn't you like to make this Jesus your Lord and Savior? And she says, no, I'm not interested. I want to know why. There's got to be a reason. Isn't that true? I mean, once you become a daughter of the King, I mean, if you realize what you've got, you're a daughter of the King of the universe. You're working directly for Jesus. And all His promises belong to you. You may not know that. I didn't for a long time. I had no idea what belonged to me. But if you know what you've got, and you go up to someone else and tell them about Jesus, and they turn you down, oh, I'm not interested, I don't want that. You walk off saying, what is wrong with this person? Isn't that the way you think? Well, all the answers are in the Word of God. I found every one of them. Now, I know why people don't want to make Jesus Lord of their life. I know there's a devil out there blinding their mind. You know, I know what that devil's doing. I know that devil's getting them involved in the things of the world. And that's his job. That's what God created him for. He created him and put him out here and gives the devil a job to do. And he's doing his job. And he's really good at it. Really good. And he's also the one that makes us sick, you know, and everything. You know, the Lord, he, I mean, used to, I didn't understand these things at all. I couldn't understand. And that's why when people, when something happens and somebody gets sick or somebody gets hurt or one of their children die or something like that, they don't know who God is. They don't have a clue how the system works. So who do they get mad at first when something happens they don't understand? God! If he's God, he wouldn't have let this happen to me. You ever heard anybody say that? I'm going to tell you. And I thought to myself, whenever I first got into the area of beginning to check this out, I thought, Lord, you know, I don't, maybe I don't understand this, but I believe that I was God, I could do a better job than you have. <laughs> Any of you ever thought like that? You know, I mean, you think, hey, I mean, I could, I mean, I believe I could do a better job with a system than you did. But see, I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. Not a clue. That's just like somebody that sees you make a cake. You know, if you're a lady and you make a cake, and somebody tastes that cake and they say, hmm, I believe I could do a better job than that. You know? So you say, okay, make one. See, now we're going to find out, right? <coughs> And after they make one, they find out it wasn't quite as easy as they thought. I mean, you, you mean I only have to put this much flour or this much sugar? Oh, yeah, the cake that you make is you're going to make it from scratch. You're not going to have the privilege to run down to the grocery store and get one that's everything's pre-mixed and just pour it in, put a little water in, stir it and put it in the oven. No, we're going to make one. You're going to make it from scratch. I'm going to tell you today, unfortunately... Probably most women today that are less than 30 years old, if they had to make a cake from scratch, they couldn't make one. If you were to tell them, let's make some biscuits, they say, sure, pull the real block, you know, and pull them out and put them in the oven. Look at them beautiful biscuits. No, that's not the way. We, let's make some of the wonderful cat head biscuits like Grandma used to make. Let's get the eggs and the flour and the, all the stuff out and let's make, make a biscuit? You mean... 
you have it's not just pulling the veal off and breaking the can and taking them, putting them in there. No, there used to be women that used to make biscuits. <laughs> well, let me tell you. <clears throat> it takes training to get to where you could cook like grandma. You know, some of those grandmas made some groceries. And some of us older people remember those grandmas that made everything from scratch on the farm. And that was good stuff. Well, let me tell you today, the stuff you're eating today, a lot of it is killing you. You're, it's killing you. It's got the wrong stuff in it. And it is literally killing us. And it's all done. And they know it. They know it's killing us, but they're doing it in the name of money. So they can take something and put it on the shelf, and you can take those items, and you go down, you buy it, you can keep it for a long time, and you can eat it, but technically speaking, just like I I heard our doctor on television here a while back, on Christian television, He was explaining how the trillions of cells we have in our body are like a teeth strainer. Now, I don't know nothing about this. I only know what this doctor said. So, if he's wrong, then I'm going to be wrong. Because he said that each one of the trillions of cells you have in your body is like a teeth strainer. Now, he took a little teeth strainer and he held it over a bucket and he poured water in the teeth strainer. What do you think that water did through that teeth strainer? Man, it just went right through it. I mean, it was one of those little metal ones, you know, those little... uh, uh, screen wire type. And so, man, that water just flowed through that thing, just unhindered it. <laughs> he said, now, when you eat certain things that have been treated with certain ways, and I'm, I'm trying to think of the word he used, and I, I've, I've seen it on almost everything that's a processed food. I, I forget what the name was. Of the, if, it had, if it's been subjected to this high temperature, it's what? No, not pasteurized. That wasn't it. What is it? Hydronated. That's it. If it's partially hydronated. That was what he said. Yeah. If, if it's partially hydronated, he said that process, I, I forget exactly how he said it was, but said, if, if you read on the package, it says partially hydronated, he said, you don't want to eat this stuff. And I got to reading the package, you don't want to eat it. All of it's got that on it. <laughs> So he said, what this does, this takes when you eat this stuff, and he took a pea, uh, uh, that tea strainer, and he took some lard, and he put the lard in the tea strainer and mashed it all around. Do well, you think the lard went through the tea strainer? No. It would not go through it. It's just in there, now mashed all around. If you push hard enough, a little bit of it could come through. And then he took the water and he poured it in there, and of course... Where it went around the lard, it would run through, but the rest of it would just catch it. He said, that's what happens in the cells of your body when you eat things that are partially hydrogenated. Those screens or filters in those cells get plugged up. He said, when they do, then the flow of liquid and nutrients can't go through. They get stopped up and trapped in there. And he said, then since they can't flow, it starts causing a slow death of that cell. Now, I don't know all that's true or not, Ty. You know, I, from a doctor's standpoint, but he was a doctor. And it, it, am I close to right? 
Okay, he's agreeing with me too. Of course, this was another doctor, you know, and so I don't, I don't know anything about the medical field. That's one thing I have no knowledge of virtually. But I do know when a man has been in the business all of his life and he tells me something like that, I listen. I listen. So I've tried to start eating things that have no partially hydrogenated oils used in them. But you know, that's difficult. That's very difficult. So, what we have started doing, ever since I learned that a few years ago, watching this, it's been a few years ago since I learned that, I have made sure that I pray over everything that I put in this body. Everything. See, when you sanctify what you eat with the Word of God, prayer, and thanksgiving, then God can change the whole molecular structure of what you eat so that it's good for your body. He can do that. So that's why, that's, a, that's one of the reasons so many of us today it, that live today in America are sick and afflicted. Because we don't eat the right kind of foods. We don't exercise. You know, we don't do the things we're supposed to do. And there is a physical thing that you and I can do or not do that will destroy and inflict this body that we live in that will make it sick, and then you need God. Now then, how many of you know that, my, of course, my son is in the fitness business. And he and I sat and talked the other night, and he had tears in his eyes as he talked to me about Dad. He said, it's... It breaks my heart when people bring a 10-year-old child in that already weighs 180 pounds. He said, all these parents have done is let these kids sit in front of a television set and flip a button to make a machine work to play some kind of video games. No exercise, and they're pumping them full of sugar. They're eating candy and things. And he said, here's these kids have no exercise. They couldn't run a mile if their life depended upon it. You know, they're, they're physically totally terrible. And he said, Dad, these children, by the time they're 30 or 35 years old, are going to have arteries plugged up. They're going to have all kinds of things. They're going to have, their, their bodies are going to be in terrible shape. He said, that's just like, he said, at your healing schools, that I know people come to your healing school sick and afflicted and ask you to pray for them because their knees are going out or their back's going out and they weigh three or four hundred pounds. I see that all the time. People come and expect God to do a miracle. You know, the thing about it is, you know what God expects us to do? Number one, He expects us to do what we can to take care of our physical body. He expects us Number one, to take His Word and believe His Word and walk, walk in obedience to His Word. And since He tells us, don't eat anything without praying over it, sanctifying it with the Word of God and prayer with thanksgiving. Now, do you know God said that in His Word? How many of you know God says pray over everything? Now, so if you don't know that, you need to get a hold of that. Now, if God says pray over everything, do you think He means pray over everything? Then why don't we do that? I mean, now, just think now. Just the other day, just to give you an example of how easy it is to miss this. I mean, even when you've been trained, even like I've been trained. 
The other day, I went over to one of our buildings, and the heater furnace wasn't working. There was a little light blinking on top of it. Blink, blink. And then blink, blink. Well, that's a code two. Well, I didn't remember what a code two was. It has 11 codes that can blink for, to cover everything on the system. And I couldn't find the code book. So I came back over to the ministry center. I looked for the code book. I couldn't find it. I called the company where I bought the heater. They didn't have another one. I called the company, and I couldn't get a hold of anybody that could give me access to a book, so they didn't have any idea of what a code to. I said I could order a book, and they could send it to me, and I'd get it in a week or ten days. But I needed to fix this heater today. It was cold today. So I'm there in my office, and I'm agonizing over what I'm going to do. How I'm on a computer trying to find this, and all of a sudden Dave Rosenfeld walks in. And he said, Pastor, what's wrong? I said, oh, Dave, I'm having all kinds of troubles. I said, I got one of these books somewhere, and I can't find it, and I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, well, my pastor, of course, that's me. He says, my pastor, his first question would be, have you prayed about it yet? And guess what I hadn't done? (laughs) I don't believe my own preaching. I hadn't prayed over it yet. So I looked up and I said, Father, forgive me. I said, Father, I know you know where that code book's at. I'm asking you please to reveal to me where the code book's at. In Jesus' name, I thank you. And immediately, immediately, I knew where that book was. I got up out of my chair, walked around to another room down the hallway, walked into another room, pulled out a drawer, and there was the book. Right there. Now then, see, God wants to help us, doesn't He? But He's not there pushing Himself on you. He's not over there saying, hey, hitting you on top of the head, pushing you on the shoulder, say, hey, if you'll ask me, I'll tell you. He said, no, I told you in my word. I told you in my word to pray about everything and then listen, call upon me, and I will answer you. Didn't He? Isn't it amazing? I know know none of y'all are like me. I know none of y'all would ever do anything like that. I know you would pray about everything very first thing, wouldn't you? (laughs) I think we're human beings, don't you? Even when you've been trained in the Word and you're teaching the Word every day, we have problems. I mean, just like Cheryl and I. She's learned. I've taught her way too well. Way too well. Anytime we have a problem and I say something to her or do something she don't like, she doesn't retaliate to me and say a thing to me. She just goes in the other room and says, Father, I'm coming to the throne of grace. This husband you give me is not doing exactly what I want him to do right now. So you need to take care of your son. And guess what he does? (laughs) He takes care of his son. And uh, it's amazing, you know, how that when you go to the throne of grace and ask in prayer... When you're walking in obedience to the Word, He will hear your prayer and He will answer you. He wants to be involved in your life. Now then, what if you're walking in some kind of a sin yourself? He says, I won't hear your prayer. Don't come to me with sin in your life. See, now, most people don't know that. They don't believe that in Psalm 66, 18, the king said, If you hide iniquity or sin in your heart, I will not hear your prayer. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Somebody turn to Psalm 66, 18 and see if I've got the right scripture. 
Sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I get off uh, uh, the cue there just a little bit. But there's a, a couple of places, and uh, I want to see if, if we can go to both of them. But Psalm 66, 18, what, do you have it there, sir? That's basically what he says, isn't it? Psalm 66, 18. So what is that telling you and me as children of God? If we want to come to the king, what do we got to do first? Repent. There you go. Repent. Get rid of all sin. But Lord, just like this precious lady was telling me a while ago, somebody come in and said, you got your laundry done. I said, yeah, I got it done. She said, I only had half of it done. I didn't realize I was telling them a lie. Now, what did God say about all... What does what a little bitty white lie make you? A liar. <laughs> now, you don't want to be pinpointed as a liar before the king, do you? But see, you don't realize how easy it is to sin. So somebody says, you got your laundry done today? I mean, if we say, yeah, I got it done. You know, I got it done. When you only had that, like she told me, half of it done. Then she said, I didn't realize that made me a liar. So now that somebody comes and says, you got your laundry done, I said, I got half of it done. <laughs> I got half of it done, and I'm working on the other half. So see, now that's what God expects us to be. Now see, those little tiny besetting sins that we're so hung up on will separate us from hearing God's voice. It'll separate us from His promises and His blessings. And so then when we come to Him and ask Him for something, He won't hear. And so that's that's... It's so amazing, you know, that God says it. Now, believe in John 9.31. I think it's not John 9.31 that He says He will not hear the prayer of a sinner. I think that's where that's at, John 9.31. But let's let the people pull over there and look at that. I want to make sure, I want them to see it in their own Bible, what the Pharisees and Sadducees were talking about there in John 9.31. They were very smart, but they just didn't believe they were preaching either. They're just like the rest of us. We can quote the Word, but we have to do that just like you have to. God is no respecter of persons. He don't care if you're His preacher. The only thing, if you're one of His preachers or teachers, He judges you more severely than He does those that are not. He holds you more accountable if you're a teacher of the Word than He does those that are not teachers of the Word. That makes sense, doesn't it? He expects me to walk what I talk. And pretty hard. But John 9.31, what did he say? Somebody tell me. What did John 9.31 say? Uh, we know that God does not hear sinners. Ooh. If anyone is God-fearing and does His will, He hears Him. Oh, okay. So, we know that God does not hear sinners, right? So, if we're sinning, if we're doing anything that's sin... Now then, here's something I've also learned. That we don't think we're sinning. We think we're okay. You know, so somebody says, well, you're, you're a sinner. No, I'm not a sinner. You know, I'm okay. I'm saved by grace and I'm okay. Well, what is sin? Turn to Romans 14.23. And let's see what Romans 14.23 says. Let's find out there. If I do tell a little bitty lie. Now, does God say don't lie in His Word? Okay. Did God say... In John fourteen twenty three, what is uh, what, I mean Romans fourteen twenty Romans fourteen twenty three. What does Romans fourteen twenty three say? Maybe I'm in the right place. I hope. Romans fourteen twenty three. 
What does it say? Now, wait a minute. We're talking about eating food. Now, then, wait a minute now. We're talking about, he's, he, in that whole chapter down through there, he's talking about different things that are sin. And he's talking about a man that comes in and eats meat when he's not sure whether he can be a vegetarian or a meat eater. But So, if I don't eat that meat in faith, then I just sinned, didn't I? Wow. Anything you do that's not of faith or according to the Word of God is sin. How easy is it to sin? It's easy. So, let me ask you this. God said all over His book, and you may not know where any of these places are, but let me take you to one first. Let me take you to Philippians 2.14. I want you to go to Philippians 2.14. I want to see if anybody's ever broken this rule. He says, anything you do that's not of faith or not according to the Word of God is sin. And if sin brings sickness and disease to our body and pain and torment and all kinds of other things, I want to see if anybody has missed this spiritual law that God put in His Word in Philippians 2.14. Philippians 2.14. Let's turn to Philippians 2.14 and see if you have ever done this. I know none of y'all have ever done Oh, my goodness gracious, this girl here, she just fell over backwards when she read that scripture. What does that say, young lady? What is... Do all things without complaining. Uh-oh, uh, do how many? Oh, oh, my goodness gracious alive. Now, I know none of y'all have ever missed that. Anybody in here ever grumbled or complained about anything? i got to hold up both hands. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. <laughs> Is it, is it hard? To, how can you possibly not sin, especially if you don't know what the Word says? So see, the average person thinks there's no problem with grumbling and complaining, right? I mean, if we thought it was a problem grumbling and complaining, when you're in the church, people would be joyous instead of grumbling and complaining. You know, I mean, do you hear people in the church grumbling and complaining? Sure, we, do we do it? Sure we do. You know, now will it bring sickness and disease to you? Yes, it will. It sure will. People say, I don't believe that grumbling and complaining will bring sickness and disease. Let me say, it not only bring sickness and disease, it'll bring death. You know, and not only in the Old Covenant. Now, think about this. In the Old Covenant, whenever He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, did He show them any miracles? Oh, did he show them miracles? I mean, they saw miracles. They, how many of you have ever walked through the Red Sea with the water separated? I hadn't seen that miracle, but I know it happened because he wrote it in his Word, didn't he? So if God said that, I know he done it. But he showed that to these people back there then. He opened the Red Sea and dried the ground. And they walked through on dried ground. And they'd already seen the cloud by day and the fire by night. You know, I, I think about... When I fly over the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, I think about the generator somewhere that's supplying the power to power miles and miles of light. I mean, it's beautiful. The Metroplex is beautiful. But there's only about three or four million people live here. Well, that's about how many people God brought out of Egypt. Three or four million. 
So we got the Dallas Forest Metroplex camped out there, and they got he's got a fire burning at night to light the whole Metroplex from a fire burning, but yet it's dim enough so the people can still sleep. You ever stop to think about that? God's doing that for them. They're seeing that. You know, I mean, you yourself, when you drive down the highway out here, or if you were to have the privilege, and many of you have flown in an airplane, a jet, or whatever, and you've flown over an area like this Metroplex, and when you begin to come in, you see miles and miles of beautiful lights, don't you? It's beautiful. You see the roads, the cars. It's beautiful at night flying. On a clear night. It's the most beautiful thing. But somewhere there's a bunch of generators that's supplying that power to power all of them. And it is astronomical what it takes to provide that power to supply power for this entire area every day. Astronomical. If you're not an engineer, you have no clue what's behind all that. But God provided a generator in heaven to provide enough fire to be able to light that entire area as big as the Dallas Fort Metroplex as four, three, four, five million people camped out every night. He had those lights so they could see to walk around a little bit. Every, and he did that every night. And they didn't have to maintain it. They didn't have to pay for it or nothing. It was free. He provided it all. No electric bill. No electric bill. Praise the King. That's better than what we got. They charge you and me electric bills, don't they? And it costs some money to keep those generators online, I'll tell you for sure. God showed those people all those things. And then He brought them out there and brought them to the promised land. I told them, said, now then, there's giants in there, but go in and I'll go with you and we'll take it. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. So they went in and looked. And they came back out. They didn't believe Him, just like us. They didn't believe Him. They come back out and said, there's giants in there. Big giants in there. We can't do this. It would have been better if we had just died in the wilderness. By this time, the king is a little upset. He says, I will judge you by the words out of your own mouth. I will send you into the wilderness, and every one of you that's over 20 years of age will die in the wilderness. He is fed up with their grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining. Now, they, they wasn't through grumbling and complaining. So they get out there, and they don't like it out here in the desert. Although he's sending them manna to eat, they're grumbling and complaining about the manna. We want meat. Finally, Moses goes to God and says, God, your people want meat. He said, I know, I hear they're grumbling and complaining. I will feed them meat tomorrow. And Moses looked at the millions of people. And even Moses said, God. If you killed every fish in the sea, you couldn't feed this multitude meat tomorrow. He says, Moses, not only will I feed them meat tomorrow, not only will I feed them meat for a week, but I'm going to feed them meat for a month. And Moses couldn't even fathom that. He said, God, I, have, I can't believe you're able to do this. And God looked at his little servant Moses and said, Moses, do you think my arm's getting short? See, we don't understand who this king is. So the next morning, quail come gently flying in about three feet off the ground by the millions. 
They're just reaching out and getting them by the handfuls and killing them and putting them in their buckets so they can have, and they cook them and they start eating them. And you think, this is so good. And they're eating that beautiful white quail meat. And you know what God did because of their grumbling and complaining? He said, I gave you your desires, but I sent a wasting disease with it. And while the meat is in your teeth, I'm going to kill you. And thousands of them died. What caused them to die? Sickness and... I mean, grumbling and complaining. Of course, he tells us over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all these things were examples for us so we wouldn't do these things. See, we see this and then we don't understand why when you take some guy that's grumbling and complaining all the time, all the time, or woman, man or woman, and they come down sick. And then they grumble about their sickness. And then when they go to the doctor, they grumble because the doctor cost me too much money. I know none of you all have ever been guilty of those things. But the king did say do all things without grumbling and complaining, right? So if we break his spiritual law of grumbling and complaining, it is very well documented that we can go back under the old covenant and find out where people died because of grumbling and complaining. He gave them the desires of their heart, but He killed many of them in it. Now, it took me a long time to see this part of God. I just couldn't believe God would do something like that to people. But He does. Now then, the part I wanted to see was it makes me what I do, I'm saved by grace, I can be perfect, I can be well, I can be blessed, I can have all my finances met. I don't have to go to church except when I want to, maybe on Christmas and Easter. You know, I don't have to tithe. I have, there's no requirements. I can just do whatever I want to, and me and my family, my children are going to be healthy, and everything's going to be great, and God's just going to set up and let me do what I want to do. But I've learned that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. I've learned that under the Old Covenant, they grumbled and complained. Yeah, He gave them the desires of their heart, but He sent the death angel with it, and He says He killed them while the meat was still between their teeth. That's kind of scary, isn't it? And then He goes so far to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that all these things that happened to them were examples for you and me, so we don't sin. Now, if we see those people grumbling and complaining, and it brought sickness and disease and killed them, then it's an example for you and me. And so if we're Christians, and we get off into grumbling and complaining, and then we come down with a back pain or a shoulder pain, or you, I mean, your mate. That's just like I had a gentleman right here in this church a few, or maybe a year or two ago, uh, time gets by, and, and I taught these things in church. And this guy sitting back, right back there, he said, Sir, can I give a testimony today? I said, Sure. So he gets up and comes up here, and he said, you see that woman sitting right there beside where I sat? I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been married to that woman a little over 50 years. Well, praise God, that's not very many people can say that today. But he said, I've been married to her a little over 50 years. But he said, last week, me and her got into a serious disagreement. Now, what? A man and woman who's been married 50 years that are both Christians could get into a serious disagreement? I know none of y'all would ever allow something like that to happen in your home. Would you? No. 
I mean, I know we're all Christians. We know God says walk in love. He says forgive one another. Even if you made sins against you 490 times in one day, you're supposed to forgive them. Yeah, we sure do a good job of that, don't we? You sinned against me one time. Don't you ever do that again. I'm going to forgive you, woman, this time. Don't you ever do that again. Woo, that's really Christian love, isn't it? <laughs> that's the way we live. That's the way we live. And then we wonder why we have all the problems we have. Well, when we get into this, like this gentleman did, he said, I got in that serious disagreement with my wife, and he said, I went to bed mad that night. Now, how many of you heard Paul say, don't go to bed angry lest you give place to the devil? Anybody ever read that Scripture? You have, haven't you? Well, what do you think he meant when he said, don't go to bed angry lest you give place to the devil? He meant that, didn't he? So guess what the devil did to that man that night? He went to bed angry. He gave place to the devil. The devil comes by. There's a neon sign flashing in front of his house. We've got a man in here that's mad. You have legal right to go in and get him. See, that's what's going on. So the devil sends one of these little critters in, and this little critter goes in, and this scorpion penetrates his back, and when he wakes up the next morning, he's in excruciating pain. He's back and down one leg. So he said, I thought about what you said about those who are demons, that we have all power over the devil. So he said, I woke up the next morning, not thinking about it, I got mad at my wife, not thinking that I went to bed angry, but knowing I have a spirit in my body that's attacking me, that's hurting my back and my leg. He said, I said, it says in the Word of God, I have all power over you, so in the name of Jesus, I command you pain to leave me. And he said, when I said that, he said, oh, 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 oh. He said, it got much, much worse. Now, what's wrong with this picture? Hey, there, this girl's got it. And he thought about that too. He said, oh, 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 Lord, I got mad at my wife last night and I haven't repented. He said, Thurman said something that you got to repent before this works. So he said, Lord, I repent. I repent for getting mad at my wife. I ask you to forgive me, Lord. And he said, I rebuke that spirit. And it got bad again. He said, what did I do wrong? He said, the spirit immediately told me he hadn't got right with that woman yet. Oh, he got right with God, but he didn't go get right with his wife. So he said, I go in there and tell her, honey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And she says, yes. He said, okay, now then, Lord, I have asked her to forgive me. I've asked you to forgive me. And if there's anything else I've got to do before I rebuke this thing again, I repent. See, he's got it down now. See, the Lord has got his attention. And so he said, now, Lord, I rebuked this pain and commanded to leave my back. And he said, sir, as God is my witness, it left instantly. Instantly. He said, the pain left and I had no more pain. He said, these things that you teach us out here. He said, I don't know why I didn't see these things. He said, I've seen this in the Scripture for years. Don't go to bed angry unless you give place to the devil. He said, I didn't believe that that would work for me. But he said it did. Now, see, is God a respecter of persons? Does He care for your woman or a man? Does He care for your old or young? No. Not at all. So, I don't know about you, but I had much rather walk in divine health with no pain. Hadn't you? So, the Lord tells us in His Word, no grumbling and no complaint. Do you have many things without grumbling and complaining? What does all mean, young lady? Oh, <laughs> so now then that we learn the truth, 
Now then that we learn that God says do all things without grumbling and complaining, some of us are going to have to make a change this week. Probably all of us are going to have to make a change this week. Do you know how easy it is to be taught these things and then turn right around and get into grumbling and complaining? You know how easy it is? It's easy. Because, I mean, the first time, let's just say that, of course, we take go back to a man and a wife married together. You know, if there's ever two people that get married, that love each other enough to come together to become one flesh, there should never be nothing that could separate those two. And I know that none of y'all, except me and Cheryl, have ever had a problem since we got married. I don't think there's a human being alive that hadn't had a problem with their mate since they got married, if they'd been married more than one day. <laughs> Probably if they got married the first day or two, maybe, they was able to get by. But I have seen some people that have a knockdown drag out the second day after they got married. You know, I mean, I got tickled the other day. Uh, Cheryl's daughter, Christy, she was hard broke. Her and her husband had their first disagreement. She told him to do something, and he didn't want to do it. She said, I can't believe that we went together for five years and never had a single disagreement, and we get married, and then I tell him to do something, and he bows up. And she said, it broke my heart. (laughs) Welcome to the crowd. (laughs) Welcome to the crowd. That's just the way life is, isn't it? That's the way life is. Things change. But it takes walking in the God kind of love. If you get into the Word of God, then you begin to realize who this enemy is, Satan, that is sent to get you into these conditions of grumbling or whatever in discord with your mate. Man, he's out there putting you to the test. That's what the devil's job is. The devil roams around on the earth seeking whom he may devour. Isn't that amazing? Here's the devil walking around, you know, and he's not finding anybody in anger. And all of a sudden, this gentleman I was telling you about a while ago, he gets mad at his wife. You know, there's a demon comes in there and he's antagonizing him. And all of a sudden, he loses it and he gets mad at his wife. And the devil says, oh, there's that neon sign. Just went to flashing over there. That man's got anger in his heart. And he went to bed mad. That neon sign is flashing outside of his home. Anger's here. Anger's here. Anger's here. And so that demon runs over there and attacks that man. And he wakes up the next morning with an excruciating pain in his back and his legs. Why? Because he was disobedient to the rules, the spiritual laws of God's book. Now then, I used to didn't understand those things. But when I began to seek this book, and when I began to seek God... I wanted to know when an airplane fails or a piece of equipment we designed fails, I wanted to know what caused this to happen. And I usually always found my answer. There's always an answer. In the engineering world, there's always an answer. Why every airplane crashes, why every car has a wreck, there's always an answer to why it happened. You know, you don't just... In fact, the other day I was driving down 35W... At 65 miles an hour, exactly the speed limit, and there's eight or ten cars in front of me. There's one right directly in front of me, about six car lengths. I'm trying to stay the right distance behind. And then right in the right lane, there's a van 
and then there's a little space. There's one behind him, one here, and a little space here. And all of a sudden, I have no idea what happened. But this van, that's one car ahead of the car in front of me, in the right lane, turns left 90 degrees at 65 miles an hour. Now, something broke, or something happened, or some one of the kids did something, and he looked back, and tur- something happened. That car, that van, was not going down a straight highway at 65 miles an hour, and in one second, and goes over the rail, turns upside down, and flops across, and stops right in the middle of the median, upside down. But there was something happened. What? I don't know. I stopped. Of course, everybody else stopped too. And people began to run to these when I began to see the driver crawl out the window and one of the little kids crawled out the window. I thought, well, obviously they're all okay in there. At least they're getting out. So I said, there's 50 people run into that van. They knew it was me going over there. So I just stood out there deciding, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to watch over those people, bless them people. I ask you to send angels to minister to those people. Now, that is the most powerful thing you can do as a Christian. You, know, you might be able to go over and help get them out, but the most powerful thing you can do is pray. And you know most of us don't do that. When something like that happens, we want to call 911. We want to get the ambulance up there. We want to get the police up there. We don't ever think about praying. But if you want to really have an impact on things, you learn to pray. That's where you can get things done. Pray. But the same thing, just like that, I don't know what happened to that. I didn't stay but there was a cause of some kind that caused that. And I've now realized that every time one of us, especially as God's children, come down with some kind of sickness and disease, there's a cause. There's a cause and effect. You do not get sick accidentally. You, know, you do something to abuse your body. I mean, you take a man. I had a man from Amarillo the other day that came to a healing school. He was in a wheelchair. His wife was pushing him around. She was still in fairly good shape, I'll have to say. I went over. This guy was all hunkered down in his wheelchair. Couldn't even raise himself up. And I said, what's wrong with you? He said, only about two weeks ago I had surgery on my lungs. They took out a big chunk of my lungs. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 60. I said, were you a smoker? Yeah. For about 40 years, I smoke anywhere from three to five packs a day. He paid to kill himself. He is a Christian, been going to church all those years, and now he wants God to do a miracle and heal his body. Well, God may and he may not. You know, that it's a case like this. That totally, it always totally depends on God. But I wonder how many times God told this man throughout his years, through somebody, to stop smoking. I wonder how many times. Have any of you in here ever been a smoker? If you have, how many times did God, through somebody, tell you to stop smoking? Many times, right? Many times. Well, how many people do you know that don't heed that warning? It won't affect me. You know, or just like dipping. You know, my son, when he was young, when he started playing football, you know how the football boys all got to have their little can, you know, put it in their back pocket, and if your blue jeans don't have the rounds, you ain't nobody. 
But you've got to have the round deal where you wore the deal out, you know, or you're somebody's in, you know. It's amazing how we get off. I tried to talk to my son about dipping. Oh, Dad, he said, you're, you know, he said, God don't mind if I dip. He said, He's given me freedom. I said, well, He has given you freedom, but not all things are beneficial. That's in there too. I said, so that can kill your body, that can cause cancer in your lip, that can do all kinds of things. Dad, I know God don't mind if I dip. I said, well, I don't like it, and I would love for you to quit just because you're supposed to love me. Well, but I, I, I like this stuff. And I, after he got married, he told his wife, she said, well, I don't like it. He said, okay, when we get married, I'll give it up. He lied. He didn't give it up. I kept trying to get him to quit, and his wife kept getting, trying to get him to quit, and he kept telling us he would, but he, would, but he didn't. Finally, one day, my son come to me. He said, Dad, I had another one of those experiences with God. I said, oh, you did. I said, what did the king say? He said, I was studying, I think he said the book of Romans the other night, getting ready to teach it somewhere he goes to church up there in Denton. And he said, I had a big dip in my mouth. And he said, all of a sudden I heard a voice say, Tim, get that dip out of your mouth. He said, Dad, I knew that was God. He said, I reached up immediately, jerked that thing out and throws it away in the trash. He said, about 30 minutes later, I had been able to overcome that with rationalization. You know, that wasn't really God. That was just my own thought. Any of y'all ever done this? When God's talking to you through the Spirit, and He says, that couldn't have been God. God don't mind if I dip. So He said, I go get me a brand new can, open it up, make me a nice big dip, pull out my lip and start to put it in there. And the Lord again said, Tim, I told you to get that out of your mouth. He said, Dad, I put it down. And if I ever put it in there again, you know I'm going to be in direct rebellion against God. As far as I know, He's never put it back in there again. Now, what a shame that God had to tell him two times that he didn't like it. Do you think God wants you to abuse your body and destroy it? He does everything he can to talk to us, to try to get us to pay attention. In fact, let me take you to Job 33 and show you what God does here. I'm going to show you some things here that... When we see the way God does things, the more you read the Bible, the more you will see these things. Okay, Job 33. Let's go to Job 33 and and, and let's start in verse... Uh, Eight, you have said in my hearing, I have heard your very words. This is Elihu talking to Job. You said, I am pure. I am innocent. I have not sinned. Any of y'all ever thought you were pure? And hadn't sinned? Had all your sins repented of? You said, God is seeking a quarrel with me. Now, I'm reading this in the NLT. This is the NLT, the New Living Translation. God is seeking a quarrel with me, and he considers me to be his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches every move I make. He says, in this you are not right, Job, and I will show you why. 
as you yourself have said, God is greater than any person. Now, how many of you believe that? Yeah, God is greater. He knows everything. God is greater than any person. So why are you picking a charge against Him? Now, why is it that people, when something happens they don't understand, why do we get mad at God when He knows everything and He never judges incorrectly? Guess who's always wrong? Us. We're always the one that's wrong. It ain't never God. He don't never make a mistake. He judges righteously. So if something happens and God made the decision to do something, you can be sure that God knows what He's doing. Now, you may not understand it. And there's been a lot of things God's done in my life that I didn't understand. I can tell you for sure. But I still have to trust Him because I know He's God and I know He knows what He's doing. So, when you do that, it says here then, it says, So why are you bringing a charge against Him? He does not respond to people's complaints, but God speaks again and again. Now, this is what Job was saying. But either who's saying, he does, you, you say, He does not respond to people's complaints. But God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize that. Like I was saying a while ago, if you happen to have been a smoker at one time, probably numerous people have come up to you and said, you know, as my Christian brother or sister, it would be a lot better off if you'd quit that smoking. You know, you know where I'm coming from? So guess who that was talking to you? It was God in that person telling you to stop abusing your physical body with nicotine. Or if you were a drinker and you abused your drinking. If you have a glass of wine once in a while or drink one beer once in a while, that's one thing. But if you, every time you sit down, you drink three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then you're weavering, wavering on the way home and can't see how to get there, then hey, I need, if you're my Christian brother, I need to say, hey, you need to stop this nonsense. You're going to get out there one day and you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else. You know? And I'm trying to say, now guess who that is talking to you out of me? That's God. And sometimes God will just talk to you in His own spirit. You'll just hear a voice inside of you saying, you need to stop this stuff. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever done anything right or wrong that you've heard a thought come to you to tell you to do something to change or to make some kind of a difference and you knew that was God talking to you. Oh, wow, nearly every one of you heard that. So you know the king talks to you, don't he? Yes, he does. And he says right here, very clearly, he says here, he speaks to us again and again. Not just once, but people don't recognize it. We are so dense. I had a couple right here that comes to church on Sunday here regularly. And they had a unique experience here a few years ago. He was working for Mr. Rescue at the time. And he had been called out to bring gas to a car that stalled out on the freeway. The person ran out of gas. And they had the Mr. Rescue thing. So him and his wife get in the van, take a can of gas, and they're going out there. And when they get there, another van's parked behind them already stopped. So he said, their car stopped on the left side of the median, on the shoulder. This van's behind them, and I parked behind it. And said, I get my gas can out, and I go up there and get between the car, and I'm putting the gas, so the gas cap was in the middle of the back. So he said, I was putting gas in, and all of a sudden I heard this voice say, get out from between the cars. Just so gently. Say, get out from between the cars. 
That thought came to his mind just as clear. Who do you think that was? Who? God. So, I mean, this is strange. All he's doing is putting gas in the car. And he hears this little thought come to his mind. Get out from between the cars. So he steps out in the median. And at the very same instant, his wife was sitting in the passenger side of the van back there. She hears a voice say, get out of the van and get out in the median. So she opens the door, gets out, goes out in the middle of the median, and she's standing out there. And all of a sudden, she begins to rationalize, why in the world am I out here? Well, you're out there because God told you to get out there. But we don't learn to hear God's voice. So she goes back over, opens the van door on the, on the uh, driver's side, and gets in and sets down. When she does, a voice says, if you're going to disobey me, at least don't get on the other side. Now, who do you think that was? So she said, that so petrified me, I just sat right there for a second. And about that time, a drunk doing 85 miles an hour hit that van right in the rear end she was in. A toolbox that was sitting in the back of that van went flying right over the seat, knocked the top of the seat where she would have been, where it plumb off and went right through the windshield, through the back glass of the other van, and inside the other vehicle. Now then, did God want her to get hurt? No. Did He want the other man up in the, to get hurt? Why did He talk to them? He wanted to save their life. Now the man listened. The woman listened at first, and then she began to rationalize. See, God speaks to us again and again and again to keep us from becoming sick and afflicted. But we're not trained well enough that when these thoughts come to our mind as to who these thoughts are coming from. This is God talking to you. You know, I mean, if, if God walks up and talks to you, why is it that if me, a live human being, can walk up to you and say, you know, you need to get out from between these two vehicles and get in the media. And I'm alive and I'm flesh and blood. You can see me. And you say, well, I don't, I don't, I mean, there ain't nothing wrong with me being right here. I'll just be here. But see, I'm telling you, the possibility is good for you to get hurt right there. And we all know that, right? But you disobey. Just like she did. She goes back and gets in the van. And then the Lord tells her again, if you're going to disobey me, at least don't get on the other side. And so then the wreck happens. It breaks her neck. Now, did God want her neck broke? No. That's why He told her to get out there. But did she obey? At first she did, and then she rationalized, and then she disobeyed. Now, lots of times when we hear this God speaking to us again and again, just like He said here in the book of Job, and we don't do what He says, then consequences come upon us that God did not want to happen to you. He's trying to warn you, but you're not paying attention. So, of course, the husband, he was okay. After the wreck was cleared and all that stuff, of course, the ambulance came and they took her to the hospital, x-rayed her, her neck's broken and everything. So, now then, neck is broken, but everybody begins to pray for her, for the Lord, to do a miraculous healing on her neck. Now, she didn't have to go through this, did she? But now then, is God gracious and merciful? Is He ever? Wow. As they begin to pray, the next morning, when she woke up, she could raise her head up. And she thought, wow, I feel great. They took her back in and re-exorated her, and her neck was not broken. She was healed. And she said, we both learned a great lesson. Now, the Word of God says right here, God speaks to us again and again. 
Does he? You need to learn to hear the voice. That's just like the other day. I'm driving down the road. I had a speaking engagement over in Garland. I got off late. I stayed on the phone with some people longer than I thought. I looked at my watch. I said, good grief, I'm going to be late. I got that speaking engagement. I jumped in my car, come running down 407, right at the speed limit everywhere, get on 35, come ripping down. I said, I'm talking to the Lord all the time. I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me. I, just, I don't have any idea that I can possibly get all the way down to 635 and all about 635 and up to Garland. And, and with all the construction that was going on, I said, there's not any way I can get to that place now in time. I said, Lord, i got to have some help. How am I going to do this? And I heard a little voice. I was coming, ripping down 35, and I'm approaching the George Bush. And at that time, the George Bush had just opened to 35. And I heard a little voice that says, take the George Bush. I said, God, I don't know where the George Bush goes. I ain't never been on it. Do you think God knows where the George Bush goes? <laughs> then why do I have a problem questioning the king? Because I'm a human being just like you are. And we're not trained well enough, so I'm getting on closer and closer. And I said, Lord, you're sure going to have to help me. He already told me what to do. And I get all, I actually get past the little uh, v thing there where the solid lines are. And he says, I said, take the George Bush. <laughs> so I <laughs> wheel over and come up on the top. And of course, then these revelation words comes out of the man of faith now. Lord, I sure hope you know where the George Bush goes. <laughs> are we kind of dumb? Yes, Lord, forgive us for being so dense. I didn't have a clue where the George Bush was, but I'm on it now. And so I go up there a little ways and I pay a toll. Go a little while further, pay a toll. Get a little further, I pay another toll. When I get that last toll up there where I'm at, the third one, I said, Sir, do you happen to know where Highway 190 is? He said, This is 190. I said, The George Bush is 190? He said, Yes. I said, Well, that's the highway I'm looking for. I said, Do you know where a certain intersection is? He said, It's the next one right up there. So when I pulled out there, I said, Lord, you're a whole lot smarter than I give you. I said, Lord, please forgive me. I exited off there, and there was the place I was going to speak, and I got there 15 minutes early. Now, does it pay good dividends to obey when He speaks? So why don't we all learn to listen to this voice? You see? Does He love you? Does He want to do good for you? Does He say He speaks again and again? Yes, He does. He's trying to get our attention, but we don't listen. He tells us what to do. Let's look a little further here. It says, He speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. Then He speaks in dreams and visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their bed. He whispers in their ear and terrifies them with His warnings. Anybody ever had a dream? Anybody ever had a vision? Almost everybody has had dreams and visions. Who is that? Where are those coming from? God. He is behind it all. He is in control. He's sending you dreams and visions. I think how many times as an engineer have I pleaded with God, Lord, I'm designing a new piece of equipment. I'm building a new type of truck or whatever I'm doing. And Lord... I got to have insight, wisdom, knowledge, understanding how to do it. And I can tell you, 
I can tell you I've had times when God, I'd be sitting there looking at a truck or a particular portion of a truck, and what I'm trying to work on or design, it will literally appear before my very eyes on that truck. And I've had that happen. And I'm sitting there looking, wow, Lord, thank you. Run, give me a piece of paper and pencil and draw it out. You know, and then I build it and put it on there, and it works perfect. And then I remember one time I did a, I built a platform. I did it all by myself. You know, God's given me some great knowledge and wisdom, so I didn't pray about this on this particular platform. I built it, put the rollers on it, designed it, everything, and I looked at it and I thought, man, I'm proud of myself. That thing works good, and everybody else thought it worked good, and we hadn't tested it yet except in the shop. So. I get in my truck and I'm going over to the other side of the airport and I'm driving down Airfield Drive and all of a sudden I see an open vision. Right there, it looks like a TV screen. There is an airplane there and this truck, I just got through building this platform for it, pulls up and that little platform just rolls out perfect. The guy puts the fixed one over the top, caters the airplane, comes back out, picks up his little platform, lays it on the deck, and all of a sudden, the girl inside opens the door again and hollers and says, Hey, I can hear her waving and see her waving. And so he steps off of the platform on the little platform that, we, that I designed that's got these rollers on it that rolls out, walks inside the airplane and gets some stuff, comes back out with an armful of stuff right in the middle of this platform. And this girl hollers again and he looks like, like this. And he leans back against the side of the airplane to see what she's saying. When he leans back, that platform rolled out from under him, rolled in, and he fell folded up rear end first all the way to the concrete and head on the concrete. And then the vision was gone. I said, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I said, Lord, that would have really made me look bad. <laughs> they want to know who built and designed this platform. I did. Do you know you just cost us? I have a million dollars in a lawsuit. You just busted a man's back. See, God don't want that. So I ran back over there. Turned around, went right back over there. I looked at that platform and that truck and I said, Lord, I've got to have your help to design this thing. Obviously, I did this without a whole lot of your help before. But now I'm asking you, Father, to show me what kind of a latch or what I need to put on there. Something that will be absolutely foolproof. So that this thing will never hurt anybody and this thing will work perfect. And I said, Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And I just stood there and looked at that platform. And right before my very eyes, I saw that latch appear on that truck. I went over there and got me a piece of paper and drew that thing out. And I got one of my guys over and said, can you build this? He looked at it and he said, sure, that's simple to build. I said, build it and put it right there. And he did. And the next day when I come down, he had it done and completed. And I said, well, what do you think? He said, that's the simplest latch. That's foolproof. That'll never give no trouble. And it never has. And that latch is on every truck the airlines build. It's got that platform today. Where did that come from? From God. See, somebody said, well, Thurman designed that. Man, he done a great job. We never had no problem with that. No, I didn't design it. God designed it. Show me how to do it. I did the first part of it without any help, and it would have got somebody hurt. I never dreamed about somebody leaning on that thing and leaning backwards. But if it's on rollers and you lean backwards, it's going to roll. And it would, and it did in that vision. 
Now, does God speak to us? He says He speaks to us in dreams and visions. If you haven't ever had a dream or a vision, everybody's had a dream. Some people have not had visions. If you're not, you need to ask Him for them. You need to know that He speaks in visions. And if you're having troubles, you need to ask Him to give you these dreams and visions. Now, look what He says here. After He goes to dreams and visions, He says, He whispers in their ears and terrifies them with His warnings. God terrifies you with His warnings? What do you think He's trying to do if He's trying to scare you? Somebody said, I had an awful dream last night. I said, what's God trying to tell you? That shouldn't have been God. That had to be the devil. That scared me. But who sent that dream? God sent it. He's trying to get your attention. Let's see what He's trying to do since we're talking about a healing school here. It says, He keeps them... He causes them to change their minds and He keeps them from pride. He changes your mind and keeps you from pride. Will pride kill you? Will pride separate you from God? He says He draws far from those that are proud. So, if you're proud, you need to get rid of that because God ain't going to be close to you. So, he, says, he does this, and he says, as he does these things, he keeps them from pride, and then he keeps them from the grave, from crossing over the river of death. Now, if you get into pride, will it kill you? Sure will. How many people do you know that are proud, even in a church? God's tolerant with that for a while, but eventually it will bring forth death. Now, if you get rid of that pride and humble yourself in the presence of Almighty God and say, Lord, I thank You that You're the King. You're the one doing all this. And I give You all the glory and praise. Lord, I absolutely refuse to take any glory or any praise for anything I do in the physical world or in the spiritual world or anything else. I know that everything I do is a gift from You and I don't, can't do nothing to even take a breath without You. I give You all the praise and the glory. Is that the way we should be as Christians? That brother over there, he yells if he's hand. He agrees with me, I know. But that's the way it should be. I don't know about you, but I don't want to die early, do you? You know, he says he does this to keep us from death. And then let's go and see what happens if we don't listen. Now then, what if we don't listen to none of these things? Look what he says. Then God disciplines people with sickness and pain, with ceaselessly aching in their bones. Who did that? Wait a minute. God is sending sickness and disease and pain upon you as His children? Why? Why? What did you not listen to? You didn't listen to the warnings. You didn't listen to His Word. You didn't listen to Him when He spoke to you. You didn't listen to Him when He was trying to get you away from your pride. You didn't, you didn't listen when he's trying to get you away from your sin. You're continuing to sin. So he said, if you don't listen to me, I will send sickness and pain into your bones. Did God say that? Who's going to send this sickness and disease? You know, just think. There's two areas that make people, multitudes of people in the church sick. 
Just like I told you the story about the man, the other, that had the testimony that got into a little disagreement with his wife and went to bed angry. You know, the Lord says, Husbands, love your wives. If you don't, He said, I will not answer your prayer. Do you know that? Do you know that a lot of men can't get a prayer answered because they're not walking in a love walk with their wife? And do you know a lot of women can't get their prayer answered because God says, you women, I made you for your husbands. And if your man, husband, your man is a godly man, you are to submit to him in all things. In other words, a husband's responsible for all the decisions in the home. You two can talk about it. But whatever the husband decides, case closed, that's it. You're not to give him a hard time. You're to discuss it with him. You're to sit down and you say, we're going to go out here we're going to make a little investment. And you say, honey, what do you think about this? The husband's talking to the wife. And she looks at this and she said, hmm, I've looked at all this. She said, I don't think you ought to touch this investment with a 10-foot pole. Now, see, there's something most men don't know. Most men don't know that the women's right and left brain communicate instantly. Ours do not. Our right and left brain cannot communicate instantly like a woman's can. A woman can see things far quicker than a man. This is a fact. What I'm telling you is a true fact. In fact, when I heard Dr. James Dobson tell this the first time years ago, he said that I think it's 24 or 26 weeks whatever, in the womb, a chemical process takes place in the brain of every boy. And it burns the link between the right and left brain in two, in every nail. It does not happen in the females, but it happens in every nail. So he said the right and left brain cannot communicate at the speed that the women's left and right brain can communicate. And so he made a little statement there that every woman loves. It said, so as all of you woman, women already know, all of your husbands were born with brain damage. <laughs> All, and, and that's true. I mean, you know, think about this. You women that are married, think about this. I mean, so, so you know, you're standing up here to sing a song one day. You're in church, and the guy says, uh, turn to page 241, Standing on the Promises. And the wife flips over to 241. And the husband says, the love, uh, what, what page and what song did he say? She said, 241, standing on her promises. Okay, now why did she get it instantly and he didn't? Because, see, his right and left brain can't communicate that fast. She got it just like that. I know that, that women, I want you to know now. I want you to know when God says you're to submit to your husband, whenever you tell him something, and I know none of you women have ever had this problem, but mine. When she looks at me and says, honey, we're going to do this tomorrow night. And I look her right now and say, okay. And then tomorrow evening, she says, are you ready to go? And I said, where? (laughs) Any of you women ever had your husbands do that? Sure you have. Why? Because our right and left brain don't communicate. You know? You know what I'm talking about. Yours has the same problem, huh? (laughs) Oh, no, no. (laughs) No, we're men, guys, and that's the problem. But when we... When we don't know these things, a lot of times we get in, you know, that we listen to that wrong little voice, that little demon says, now, you know, when you look at her tomorrow and she says, are you ready to go? And you says, where? And he says, you know, she, he's a fool. 
if he was paying attention to you, you would he would have heard you. He don't care what you think or say. Now, where do you think that came from? The enemy, of course. And if you yield to that and read your husband the riot act and get angry with him and start quoting him the things and you start becoming the spiritual leader of the home all of a sudden, guess what you've just done? You've stepped out of that walk with God and you've just sinned and you've opened the door to the devil to you. And that beast going to come in and make you sick. He's going to put something on you you don't like. All these are spiritual laws that God laid down and most people never, ever learn these things. But the Lord says here, after God disciplines people with sickness and pain, with ceaseless aching in their bones... They lose their appetite and do not care for even the most delicious food. They waste away to skin and bones. They are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. What does that sound like? Cancer? You ever seen anybody look like that? I've seen a lot of them. Who put that on them? Who sent that death angel? Isn't that amazing? He's in control of the universe, isn't he? You know, it's taken me a lifetime to pick these things out of the Word of God. Do you know how many I've got to keep happy? How many of you and me got to keep happy? One. Who is that one? God. That's exactly right. You keep the king happy? Guess what's going to happen with everything else in your life? It's going to be good. I mean, you're going to be able to walk in a place that you've never experienced. You're going to be able to walk without sickness and disease. When you keep the King happy, when you walk holy before Him, you purify yourself from all evil. You, I mean, and I give this example, just like Paul did between a man and a woman. I mean, he talks about a man and a woman between the intimate sexual relationship between a man and a woman. Over there in Ephesians, all of a sudden he said, I'm really not talking about a relationship between a man and a woman, but I'm talking about a spiritual relationship between a person and God. That's the way we should be. There's no, nothing more intimate than a man and a woman in their sexual relationship. You don't get no closer to your mate than that. That's the way it should be with God all the time. Our relationship with God should be like that. And when you're in the Word, studying it like that, you can make Him happy. You can make Him happy and He will bless your socks off. I mean, it's awesome what He'll do for you. He'll do anything for you. He promises in His Word. But you only got to keep one happy. When He talks to you, if God tells you to do something, what do you need to do? Just jump. You know? I mean, just like that day, I'm driving down the freeway, and I said, Lord, i got to ask some help. I don't have a clue how to get there. And I heard that voice say, take the George Bush. What should I have done? Praise God. Thank you, Lord. What's the George Bush? Let me find it right quick and turn off and get on it. I know I'm going to get there. Why do we always seem to disagree or argue with God? But I know y'all have done the same thing because you're human beings. But if you do listen, like I finally did, I got there 15 minutes early. But here he speaks again and again. He tells us what's wrong. And then when we don't listen, 
He sends sickness and disease and ceaseless aching and pain in our body. And it says even our bones that you couldn't see are sticking out. And even the most delicious foods, we don't want them. You ever been to a hospital to see a friend that's in a hospice and they don't want nothing to eat? You can bring the finest of any. You can bring a sirloin steak in there. You can bring ice cream and and chocolate pie or whatever kind they used to love and could never pass it up. And you put it down there and, oh, that looks awful. It says right here in the Word. Because they're that sick and afflicted. Then let's see what the answer is. Let's read on a little further. It says, They are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. How would you like to think that you were 40 years old and a death angel is sitting there waiting for you to die? That's not exactly what I want at that age, would you? No, I don't want one to be sitting there at 68, you know, or 78 or 88, you know. I want to wait till I am totally satisfied with long life, and then one day I want to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready. You can come get me. Let's go to the house. But he says he'll satisfy us with long life, didn't he, brother? If God says that, then if you'll be obedient and do what He says, He will satisfy you with a long, good, healthy life. But you've got to do it His way, not yours. You've got to do it His way. Then He says there after that, but and if. I always love it in the Word when we've got a but and an if. The if is the biggest word in the Bible. Almost every one of these magnificent promises under the New Covenant start out with, if you will do this, then I will do this. So, these great and awesome promises are not dependent upon God. They're dependent upon you. And you walking in obedience to His Word. Then he says, but and if a special messenger from heaven is there to intercede for a person to declare that he is upright. Now then, if you are that special messenger... If you're the one that's walking in obedience to God's Word, you're that man or woman of God that has paid the price, that's walked holy before the King, that's got the Word hidden in you, and you can come and intercede for a person, what can you get God to do? Let me tell you a little example of something God did for me a few years ago out here at DFW Airport. I study the Word. I do my best to walk in obedience to God's Word. I have tried to hide the Word in my heart and walk as holy as I possibly know how. I've tried to do it God's way. And He knows I've tried to do it. For years and years I've tried it. I've walked, I've, you know, I've just tried. I knew God wants me to be holy, but I didn't really realize how holy. But I've tried my best to walk in obedience to the promises of God. So by doing that, obviously I have stepped into a realm that at least pleases God a little. I'm sure I'm not nowhere close to where He wants me to be. Ty is always saying, or the Word says, He that is perfectly trained shall be just like His Master. Well, that's where I want to be, and that's where He wants to be, because He says that to me often. Thurman, we've got to get to where we're perfectly trained, just like Jesus. Hey, and that's where, that's where I want to be, don't you? So somewhere between zero and up here is where Ty and I and our spouses are. We're in there somewhere. And we want to get up there, don't we, Ty? We're struggling to get there. 
But one day, out at the airport, I hear a woman screaming. And I go running down to where the scream was, and I come to find out it was a little Spanish woman in her late 40s or early 50s that had slipped and fell, and her arm had fell on a great big steel door with a great big oven. It was 200 plus degrees, and from where her glove was to where her arm was, it burned all the skin on the bottom of this arm. I mean, this little Spanish woman was screaming. I have no idea she's a Christian. I doubt seriously if she was, but if she was, she didn't know much about Jesus. She was screaming, the blisters were coming up, and everybody in there, which I knew several of the people there were Christians, they went to church. But guess what? Nobody did. Nobody was praying. Everybody was either getting the first aid kit, calling 911, or doing something, but nobody was praying. So I went running down there, and it was on her right arm. I grabbed her left arm, and I quoted Isaiah 53, 4, where it says, And Jesus bore your pain. Now, if Jesus, the prophet Isaiah, said over 700 years before Christ came that Jesus was going to bear my pain, I believe He come to bear my pain. Because it's written in the Word. So I declaim that declaration, Jesus bore your pain. So you don't have to have any pain. He took it for you. And then I claimed Mark chapter 16, verse 18. And I want you to, I want you to turn and look at this mighty promise under the new covenant that belongs to you if you're walking in obedience to God's Word. Mark 16, verse 18. He clearly says in that verse, now, I want you to get over there to it. I want you to read it. I want you to see it. I mean, actually, verse 17 too. I want you to see that this was not in... A demonic spirit was not involved here. But, well, he probably was too. But at least uh, he wasn't inside the woman. He might have been the one that made her slip. I don't know. But anyway, this woman slipped and fell and laid her arm down on his oven, burned all the skin. Big old blisters coming up. But verse 17 says, You and I, as sons of God, daughters of God can do these things. These signs shall follow those that believe in the name of our Jesus. We can cast out demons. It does say that, doesn't it? Yes. Then it says a few other things we can do. And most of us don't believe those things. We can speak with new tongues. We can handle the serpent. You know, and if we drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt us at all. Now, those are awesome promises. But I don't know very few people that believe those promises. Do you? I mean, if you do... If you ever say, what if you got a hold of some food poison one day? What can you do with that verse? He says, no deadly poison will what? It won't hurt you. Claim it. That's right, brother. Claim it. It works. Believe me, I've used it. And then it says in verse 18, the last part, and we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, who can do that? You can do that. If you believe Jesus. But most church members don't believe Jesus anymore. It's so important. I didn't believe Him for years and years and years and years. I didn't believe I could do that. But now I do believe it. And so I laid my hands on it and I said, and Jesus said, I can lay hands on you and you'll get well. But I said, I don't know how long that'll take. He said, you will recover. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take to recover. But I said, Mark eleven twenty three. Now, I want you to turn to Mark eleven twenty three. And I want you to see this great and awesome promise. And I want you to see if you believe this. Mark 11.23. Get over to Mark 11.23. 
And when you get over there, you see what the Lord says you can do. And most people in the church underline that, highlight that, and everything else. And when something devastating happens, they don't even remember it's in the Bible. I just, Jesus, our King, made this promise to you. If you have faith, you know, if you have a God kind of faith, Mark eleven twenty two. If you have a God kind of faith. Now, see, how do you get the God kind of faith? Hey, reading the Bible. If you have faith in God or the God kind of faith, He says you can speak to a mountain. And the mountain will obey you. Now, wait a minute. Do you know anybody who's got that kind of faith? I don't. I really don't. Unfortunately, we don't believe. And then it goes a little beyond speaking to the mountain. It says then, Anything you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, whatever you say with that mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you'll have whatsoever you say. I don't know hardly any Christians that believe that. I mean, but it's written. What did he say you can do there as a child of God? You can say what? What did he say? Do you think he meant that? Okay, now, I have a situation here. I have a woman. I have stood on God's Word for taking away her pain. I've asked Him to heal her, but now I don't know how long it's going to take. But Mark eleven twenty three says, I can have whatever I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart. Now, see, that little trip from here to here is the one that takes the longest for the Word of God. To, I mean, to get down here, you've got to really pound this Word to get it from here to here. A lot of people have these things here. Very few. It took me years and years and years and years of driving with a sledgehammer to drive that steel peg down through this hard head. But slowly but surely, it's getting down through there. So I said, Mark eleven twenty three says, whatever I say with my mouth, I believe in my heart, I can have it. So in the name of Jesus, I guarantee you, woman, you will get a supernatural healing from my king, and his name is Jesus. Now, God honors faith, doesn't he? So I said, it's done. I turned and walked off. Now, I've done all I can do. Now, see, I've done the natural. Now, it's up to God to do the supernatural, right? Can He do the supernatural if you do something in faith? Ooh, can He ever? In a matter of minutes, the woman's pain is gone. She said, my arm just quit hurting. And they said, well, we'll take you to the doctor. She said, no, I'm not going. My arm don't hurt at all. All these big blisters all over the place. Her arm don't hurt. So she said, I've got an evening meal to serve. I'm going to go ahead and serve the meal. So she gets her rack of sheet pans with food and pushes them off and goes up to the elevator, goes upstairs and starts serving the evening meal at 6 o'clock. And I go upstairs with one of the guys and we walk in and of course the other guys are walking in and ladies and they're, Adelina, what happened to your arm? These big old blisters from here to here. I fell in an oven down there while I was going to burn my arm. Good grief, go to the doctor. No, she said, don't hurt. Don't hurt at all. <laughs> so she served the evening meal, set her and cleaned up the cafeteria, and finally 11 o'clock goes home. And then she gets home and her husband sees it. I, what happened to you? I got burned today in an oven. I'm going to take you to emergency right now. She said, no, honey, it don't hurt at all. I'm not going. Said if it's bothering me in the morning, I'll go. She wakes up the next morning, and when she wakes up and looks at her arm, 
There's not a mark or a scar or a burn or a blister on her arm. Now, who do you think showed up in the night? Who? The Lord. Absolutely, the Lord. Oh, you know what she said when she come to work the next day? When that afternoon she come back to work and Melanie, one of the little cooks that I ministered to a lot, that little girl, it, this, this was the final cross that changed her life forever. She looked at Melanie, looked back and said, Adelina, how's your arm? She said, held it up and Melanie saw She said, another answer to Thurman's prayer. <laughs> See, that little gal went to Bible school, changed her life forever. You know, let me tell you, when you walk in obedience to God's Word and you do what He says and you put Him first, Mark eleven twenty three. what kind of power did He give you in Mark eleven twenty three? Unlimited, isn't it? He said, whatever you say with that mouth, if you can believe it with that heart, I will do it for you. You will have it. Why is it that, why is it that we can't believe these promises of our God? I mean, He's the one who said it, isn't He, brother? If God said it, why can't we believe? You know what I think it is? What did you say? Blindness. Okay, it's blindness. And why is the blindness there? One reason the blindness is there because we don't pick this book up and spend time with the king every day. We go home in the afternoon and don't be like the woman. Somebody... This lady here a while back, she made a statement to me, and I said, where's your husband? She said, well, he don't come to church during football season. I said, you mean he's really hung up on football? She said, Pastor, I'm going to tell you, if I died during football season, my husband would not know it until after football season was over. Do you think he's hung up on football? Now, I'm going to, I bet you if I ask him who's playing in the Super Bowl, he would know. I bet if I said, who, what's the stats on each one of them guys, I bet he could tell me, don't you? But I said, you know what Mark chapter 11, verse 23 says? He said, Mark, who's he? Where does he play? Yeah, where does he Is that his address? You know why we don't see God do anything? Because we don't know the book. But when we get a hold of the book, and start making God first and getting in it. When these promises get from here to here, you can do the exact same thing I've done in the name of our King. Because He is no respecter of persons. Now then, it's 3 o'clock. I'm going to give you all a 15 or 20 minute break. And during this break, if you want to get CDs or DVDs or whatever, they're free. And if you want to give a donation to our ministry, there's a box over there. I'm not going to take up an offering. But if during the course of the day... If you want to, there's a box over there, and I will get some envelopes out where you can, if you want to give cash, you can put your money in an envelope, write your name on it. We'll give you a donation receipt at the end of the year. We're in the process of right now getting stuff for last year out to send out, so we're getting that done. But anyway, take you a 15-minute break. There's two bathrooms right there. Use either one of them that's vacant, and in the 15 minutes after this over, we'll come back. We'll start right back over again right here with the finishing of this book of Job, and we'll see why we're sick and what we have to do to get... Rid of it. All right. Yes, ma'am. This is it, right here. Yep. Uh, in fact, uh, right here in this little warehouse, uh, we meet on the first, sa- second Saturday, just like we are here, the second Saturday from 1 to 5, and teach a healing school. 
and then on Tuesday night from 7 till 9, every Tuesday night, we have Bible study here. We will have that this Tuesday night. We have Bible study every Tuesday night, 7 till 9, and, and then on Sunday from 2 to 4. We're a little unique. Uh, I didn't understand whenever we first started this ministry why God gave me 2 to 4 in the afternoon. I thought, nobody has church 2 to 4 on Sunday afternoon. But God said, that's when I want it. I said, okay, that's when we'll do it. You know, so I now know why. It took me a while to figure it out. Of course, God, He was a whole lot smarter than me. He knew that a lot of His men here in the area, all kinds of denominations, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Pentecostals, you name it, they would teach their own church until noon, and then they would come over here in the afternoon and listen to me, this controversial Baptist deacon, uh, teach the Word of God from 2 to 4, and then they'd have time to get back for 6 or 7 o'clock service on Sunday night. And so I've had a lot of them come and do it that way. So, I mean, he's the king. I just teach his word. You know, he has given me a lot of revelation and a lot of knowledge about healing and sickness and disease. And now he's given me a little bit of knowledge about demons and how they work. But there's many other areas in God's word I have virtually no knowledge. You know, I can't teach those areas. You know, I just, I'm not there. You know, so there's a lot of things. Uh, people say, I want you to teach through the book of Revelation. I said, well, I've read that many times, but I'm not 100% sure I'm solid on that. And if I'm not solid on something, I don't want to give you my interpretation of something. I want to make sure I'm right. But I've been studying healing now for 30 years. And in the 30 years of studying healing, I am continuing. Yeah, are we not on back there, Phil? We don't, What's wrong? I got, I got it turned on. We're on. The mic's on. I got the bill. Can y'all, are we turned up enough? Can you hear it? Yes. You can hear it? Not, not loud enough? You don't hear it loud enough? Not like before? Okay, we need to turn it up just a little bit more, Phil, uh, because uh, I've got it turned on. That's better. Oh, that's a little too loud. Uh, what, honey? Need a what? Oh, yeah, okay. The services are, we have a healing school the second Saturday of every month from 1 to 5. Or whatever it takes. And then Tuesday night from 7 till 9. Every Tuesday night, right here, 7 till 9. And then every Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. And of course, uh, uh, you know, we, we try to stay until we meet every person's needs, you know. So sometimes we get out of here on Saturday at 6 or 7, and sometimes it's 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1. You know, we've been here. I think the I think the latest oh thank you sir I think thank you Lord bless this in Jesus name I think the latest Tuesday night we've ever been here is two o'clock in the morning I think you know so I think that's the latest one I don't think we've been here past two you know uh, but once in a while you have somebody you know you just have to stay till you meet everybody's need and uh, when we went out to uh, Lubbock here a while back and we I took four teams with me from the church here, cause, and we had a large crowd of people, 325 people uh, there, and then we ministered to people for hours and hours and hours. Now, the pastor out there had never seen what we do. He was raised up in a very Pentecostal type of movement, and he thought when the teaching was over, we were just going to bring people up there and let them stand in a line, and he even sent his 
boys up to catch them like they usually do, and we sat down in a chair and took each person or each couple one-on-one and found their sins and prayed for them, and we did that to the whole bunch, 300 people. And we were there for hours and hours. And he told him, said, guys, these people got to catch an airplane. I told him, I said, no big deal. I'm flying the airplane. <laughs> I said, so when we go home, it goes home when I get ready, not when the airline gets ready. So I said, we stay as long as it takes. So we did. We stayed. We ministered to people. He said, I've never seen a team of people, four teams of people, minister to people as long as y'all did, for the hours y'all did. But then we get out of there about 10.30, uh, get in our airplane. We fly from Lubbock here and come to Terrell and let Ty and his wife and Eldon and his wife out. And we fly back over to uh, Northwest and then we get home about 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, no big deal. You know, hey. Praise the Lord. That's what I say. Praise the Lord. You know, the Lord has given us a beautiful airplane now and I know how to fly it. And thank goodness uh, we have so much fun serving the Lord and I have lots of fun flying you know, uh, it's been a, you know, it had, it had only been 37 years since I was an airline pilot. And so, so when I went out to get checked out with this young man and the twins, how long has it been since you've flown a twin, sir? I said a little over 20 years. I didn't want to tell him 37 when he's only 23 or 4 years old. I said it's been a little over 20. See, I didn't lie to him. See, I, did. I guess maybe that's stretching the truth, but I didn't lie to him. It had been a little over 20. And so we made a couple of go-arounds, and he said, well, you did pretty good. But he said, I, I really think you ought to let our instructor, you know, maybe give you a few hours of duel tomorrow. I told him, no, I don't need that. I said, I'm okay. And uh, so anyway... He said, well, where you're taking this airplane over at Northwest, it's a little bitty airport. It's only 40 feet wide and 3,500 feet long. I said, well, it only takes half of that to land this thing. And so he said, well, I don't think you're ready. He almost knocked my face down. You know, I told him, I said, I'm ready. I said, you just get out. <laughs> and so I took off by myself and I on the way over there. I thought, Lord, I said, I can put this thing down on a postage stamp. No problem. You know, so... I brought that thing in down there and landed it, you know, and everything. And, of course, and then I, it wasn't long after that. We went somewhere and uh, we got back late in the evening and we stopped over at Terrell because it was getting night. And I told Ty, I said, I've not done any night flying in 37 years. So I think we're just going to go home with you. I don't want to go over and land at an airport at night, first time on a little short strip. So I said, where he lives, got a great big nice airport, well lighted and everything. I said, in the morning. It was already midnight. I said, in the morning, 4 o'clock, let's get up and come back out here. And I want you to come with me, and we're going to do some touch and goes. And so he did. He came with me. We went back out there, and we did, I don't know, several landings. And I said, okay, I got it now. And so, of course, since that time till now, gosh, I've done more night flying than I have any other kind. So what is it that gets you back in shape about the Word or anything else? Training. Training. Now, I'd learned to fly many years ago, and I flew the big boys, you know, I blew those big jets all over the world, but it's been 37 years. You, you, you get a little bit rusty in 37 years if you don't do something for 37 years. If you don't open this Bible for 37 years, you're going to be rusty. Really rusty. It's going to take some polishing. But 
if you stay in this book every day, every day. Now, some people might think it's strange with my experience and everything else. Do you know once in a while, I just go out there to that 421, nobody with me, go out there, open the door, get up in the cockpit, and start down all the breakers, reading them and looking at everything and just keeping familiar. I don't even go flying. I just look at everything in the cockpit, where every switch, every reset, every knob, where everything is, just keeping it in my mind where it's at. Why do you think I do that? Because I want to be safe when I fly. And if there's ever a problem, I don't want to have to wonder where something's at. I want to know. Well, now, the Word of God is no different. If you've got this Word hidden in your heart, there's an enemy out there that is sent. God made him, and he gave him a job. And his job is to go about and put you to the test. The devil goes around on this earth like a roaring lion devouring whom he may. Does he? Sure, he, that's his job. He's doing everything he can. He'll walk up to you and whisper in your ear, you need to something to you. And when he says something to you, if you don't quite understand it, or if he said it a little bit wrong or with a little bit of wrong tone, the devil will say, get him. Get him. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Now then, as a daughter of the king, you've got a choice to make. Now then, did Jesus come to destroy the works of the devil? Did he reckon he did it? Sure, he did it. So now, do you have to yield to that voice? Get him? No, so no. You don't have to yield to that no more. Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and he gave you the choice. Now then, I can either sin, or I can walk in love like God commanded me. So whenever that devil says, get him, you say, oh, devil, I know who you are. I ain't going there. Go over and grab him around the arm and the neck and kiss him two or three times and say, I sure do love you. And that devil says, that's not what I wanted you to do. But see, which way did you do it? God's way? Yes, you did it God's way. When you walked in love, the devil says, I tried my best to get through to her and I can't, so let me go over to this girl's house see what I can get done at her house. He goes around on this earth devouring whom he may. But resist steadfast with the Word, with faith, and He will flee from you. See? Do we have to yield to the devil? Well, whenever He gets through to you with sin or whatever, and you wake up one morning and you have a pain, the devil comes by and you're 50 years old. I mean, you're over the hill. I mean, everybody knows when you get 50. You ask any 20-year-old if a 50-year-old over the hill. They all know it. Now, if you ask a 60-year-old about a 50-year-old, they say, a mere kid. <laughs> a mere kid. It all depends on where you are, right? Sure. But the devil will tell you if you're over 50, you wake up one morning and you've got a pain in your hand. Oh, my goodness. That's bound to be arthritis at your age, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's got to be arthritis. I mean, don't you know everybody that's over 50 has got arthritis? Or at least 30% of them have or whatever. You know, they'll send you a deal in the mail. 
Like I got one when I passed 55. It said you need this particular kind of insurance because 30% of everybody over 55 will need one of these motorized wheelchairs in their life. I said, well, this is one tiny percent of that percent that ain't going to need one. I ain't going to need one. Guarantee. Just like I went to look at an airplane the other day, and I was thinking about buying this little sleep for high-performance airplane, and I went to look at it, and I, it was such a good shape and everything. I asked the young man, I said, why do you all want to sell this? He said, because my dad is old, and he's getting stove up, and he can't hardly get in and out. I said, well, how old is your dad? Oh, he said, dad's old. He's 60. <laughs> Here, I'm 68. I'm going to go look at this thing. See, this little sports car. And that's what it is, a little real fast little airplane that if you want to go somewhere in a hurry, just one or two or three or four of you will carry four people. But it is very difficult to get in and out of if you're an old sober man. But if you're a young 68-year-old like me, that ain't no problem. I'll just snake right over in there and get down in there. <laughs> well, it all depends. I mean, the Lord did say, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Is that what the king said? Yes. Now, if you think you're old and wore out, guess what? You are. That's exactly right. You're old and wore out. If you think you're young and you're vibrant and you're, you can do anything, you can still drive that sports car, hey, you can. See, as a man thinks in his heart. And Jesus also said under the New Covenant, as, as you believe, so shall it be done unto you. Matthew 8.13 isn't that awesome? As you believe. So, if the enemy comes by and puts a pain on you, and you wake up in the morning and says, Oh, you're over 50. And he may even get you down to 40. You know. Oh, you're over 40. You're over the hill. You feel that pain in your hand this morning? wonder what that is. Or you got a pain in your side. He says, You feel that pain in your side? wonder what that is. And the devil gets his little flip chart out and says, Maybe that's... Appendicitis. Hmm. That thought comes to your mind. No, I don't believe it could have possibly appendicitis. Well, he said, well, how about liver failure? You know, I had an aunt, you know, or an uncle, or a father, or a mother, or and whatever. And yeah, they had they had liver failure, and they died early with liver failure. It could possibly be liver failure. That's exactly what I wanted you to hear. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. Now then, when you start believing that, what you're believing is not according to what Jesus said He done for you. Jesus said He bore your sickness and He removed your disease. He said, I give you all power over the enemy. I came and destroyed the works of the devil. And all power is given to you over the devil. And anything you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have it. Good or bad. That's sad, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I guess I am. You know, I guess I am getting old. I guess I do have arthritis. I hear people come to me all the time saying, Thurman, would you pray for me? I said, what's wrong with you? My heart attack. I've had a heart attack. Or... My liver is failing, or my cancer, my lymphoma. Hey, if you keep claiming that, you're going to have it. 
Probably if you say it once or twice, you won't get it. But do you know that if you tell a lie enough, you will finally get to where you believe the lie? That's why the Lord told us to tell the truth. But most people I know do not believe these statements in God's Word. They just don't believe it. Most people don't believe God will put sickness and disease on you either. But I've now learned He will. I've now learned the King is in control. I've now learned to only have one to please on this earth. One. And it's God. And if I please Him, then guess what everybody else thinks about me? The church, for sure, they think I'm okay. Because I'm walking in the anointing. I'm walking in love. I'm walking in a perfect relationship with God. And the church, as a rule, don't have any kind of problem with me. They like what I teach and everything else. Because it gets them healed. It changes their lives and everything. But the demons that are in some people in the church, they're the ones that have a problem with what I teach. Do you think people in church have demons? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, if you don't believe that, Ty went over to speak at a church here a while back and started teaching God's Word right out of God's Word. And the pastor in the church stopped him and told him he couldn't teach what he was teaching right out of God's Word. Ooh. Didn't that happen, didn't it, Ty? Yes, it did. It happened. He told me it did. Now, how can you be teaching God's Word how can you go to a place like Big Sandy with 3,000 people there and under a big ministry and speak one day an hour and a half and the next day an hour and five minutes and they take you completely out of the circuit and they won't even allow what you said to be put into, their, into that teaching or that conference? Well, I said, when I told him, he said, well, what did you teach? I said, well, I got to see these masters and so I made them. He said, I want to... Hear them. I want to see what you said that offended so many people. So I told him, I said, one of them's called God's Tower back there, and the other one's called How to Get a Lost Person Saved. And the second one, How to Get a Lost Person Saved, God woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning that morning and told me exactly what to say in that teaching. And I did exactly what the king said, and that's the one about how to get a lost person saved. He took those two CDs home with him, listened to them, come back, said, Good grief. Those are two of the best teachings you ever did. So why do you think the devil didn't want me to teach there no more? God was anointing me that day, and he done a great work there. So, if you want to know what I said that offended so many pastors, God's power, and how to get a lost person saved. It totally got me thrown out of the next three, four, or five conferences that I was already signed up for to speak to thousands of people. I was stopped. I was stopped. Isn't that amazing? But that's, you want to hear what I said that offended them? Just get those two CDs. It'll tell you. And you'll find out. But let's go a little further here. Let's continue on in chapter 33 of the book of Job. Let's get right here. We'll read this. After it said, but if a special messenger from heaven is there to intercede for a person to declare that he is upright, God will be gracious and say, set him free. Do not make him die, for I have found a ransom for his life. Then his body will become as healthy as a child's, firm and youthful again. And when he prays to God, he will be accepted 
and God will receive him with joy and restore him to good standing, and then he will declare to his friends, I sinned, but it was not worth it. God rescued me from the grave, and now my life is filled with light. Yes, the next verse says, Yes, God often does these things for people. He rescues them from the grave so they may live in the light of the living. What do you think about those few verses we just read in the book of Job? They're pretty awesome, aren't they? So, as we look at all these things, we see the, the God that's in control of the universe. Everywhere we were there in the book of Job, when you go back in the first chapter 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Job, you will find that God came down to the earth, or at least I believe that. If you hear some of my older teachings, I will say this scene's in heaven, but I've now changed my mind. I believe this scene was on earth. And the reason I believe that is because when the war took place, God cast Satan out of heaven, and I don't believe Satan can get back to heaven. I don't believe he can get there. If he's cast out, I believe he's out. I believe he's cast down to the earth. And so in the book of Job, and when God came, and the sons of God came, and Satan came, and God asked a question. Oh, Satan, what do you think about my faithful and trusty servant Job here on the earth? He said, well, he ought to be a faithful and trusty guy. I said, you built a hedge around him, and I cannot get to him. Who built a hedge around him? How would you like for God to build a hedge around you? Ooh, I want him to build a hedge around me. Because when he takes the hedge down, who can get to you? The devil. When he takes the hedge down, so then the devil can get to you. And that's exactly what happened because when... The devil said, you allow me to put some hurt on him, and I will show you he will curse you to your face. God said, okay. I'll take that hedge down. You can do anything to Job you want to, but you can't touch him. So immediately the enemy come in, and the first thing he did was send a tornado, hurricane or something, and it blew down the house. And how many of Job's children died in that house? How many of them was there? Ten. All ten of his children died at one time. Who did, who did it? The devil did it. Now then, we don't understand right here that it was Job's pride that opened that door. But we found that out in chapter 33. But we didn't find it out in, in chapter 1. But you had to go way over there and let this little bitty guy, young guy, tell us what was wrong. Little Elihu. He's the one that found the answer. He's the one that knew. But after this happened, and not only did the devil come in and kill all of Job's children, because Job had pride in his life, but he also killed all of Job's servants, except one, at every place. He also burned up, sent fire from heaven, lightning, and lit off his wheat crops and burnt them up. He also sold all of his donkeys, all of his camels, and everything Job had. And Job went from the richest man in the world to a poor man with nothing, all virtually overnight when the devil got legal claim to him. And he still didn't grumble and complain. And you know, his wife did, but Job didn't. You know, so that's all he needed. Now, he ain't got nothing else. Now, all he's got left is a nagging woman. So now, ladies... 
if your husband goes through these trials and says, please don't be the joke kind of wife. That's not the kind of woman your husband needs at that point. He need, if he ever needed a woman to love him, he needs a woman to love him. Y'all agree with me, girls? But that's not what Job had. He was put to the test every way in the world, and he passed every test. And he's doing everything right, he thinks. And so then at the next invitation, when God came back to the earth again, then Satan came. He said, now, Satan, what do you think about my faithful and trusty servant, Job? He said, you let me put some hurt on his flesh, and I will show you that any man will give anything for his flesh. Does Satan know us pretty well? When, when, when somebody else is hurting, you can pray the prayer of faith for somebody else and say, well, just have faith and get healed. But what if it's you? Now then, it's you that's got the problem. How are you going to respond? I'll give you an example how something happened just happened to me just recently. I had just prayed a prayer of faith for a doctor in Salt Lake City, Utah. This doctor called me on Sunday night. He had fell out of a tree 35 foot up and had crushed his back. 35 feet. That's a long ways up. And he was a doctor. And they care flighted him out of the mountains, sent him to the hospital, and there somewhere in Salt Lake or wherever it was, somewhere out of Idaho, where that's where he was in the mountains of Idaho when he got injured. And they'd done a CT scan on him, and his lower back is crushed. There ain't nothing they can do about it. So they sent him home. He's home from, I guess he went on Wednesday because it happened on Tuesday. But anyway, Sunday, somebody had given him some of my teachings and he'd been listening to them. So he called and wanted to know if Cheryl and I would fly out there on Monday and pray for him. And I told through the people we were talking to, I said, yes, we'll be happy to go out there. But I said, have him call me on my cell phone tonight before he goes to bed. Before he, I mean, before he goes to sleep, if he can go to sleep. So at 10 o'clock, after they had made the arrangements for us to come out there the next day, he called and he told me what had happened. And I said, sir, he said, I believe that if you'll fly out here and pray for me, God will heal me. I said, are you in pain? He said, I'm in excruciating pain. I said, my Jesus made me a great promise in Mark 11:23. Now, we just looked at that a while ago. Anybody remember what Mark 11:23 said? What can I have? Whatever I say with that mouth, if I can believe it with my head, my heart, my spirit man, right? How does your spirit man get that in him like that to be able to believe God's promises? Yes, that, young lady. Studying the Word. Staying in the Word. Night and day. Spending time with the King. He reveals Himself to you. You draw near to Him, He draws near to you. So I prayed the prayer of faith. I said, Doctor, I'll going to pray the prayer of faith for you and the king I serve his name is Jesus according to Mark 11:23 he's going to do a supernatural healing on your body in the name of Jesus I said thank you Lord for healing this man and hung up the telephone 15 minutes later he called back he is completely healed running up and down jumping up and down stairs carrying his son now who in the world could have possibly healed or crushed back that quick only Jesus. Only Jesus. So we fly out there. Cheryl and I fly out there the next morning. We spend Tuesday, actually till Wednesday. We, we fly back Wednesday. I allowed... This guy's a Mormon. 
He's a Mormon. And I allowed that Mormon man, while I was out there teaching them the Word of God, he wanted to pray for me. I allowed for him to lay hands on me and pray for me. What a mistake! Wow! What a mistake! Don't ever do that. Then the Lord says, be careful who lays hands on you. Oh, God! Lord, did I learn my lesson the hard way. Anyway, after seeing God do this supernatural miracle, I allowed a man that's a Mormon in a Mormon church to lay hands on me and pray for me and anoint me with oil. Well, nothing happened immediately. But that happened on about Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, whenever it was. And I get back and Sunday in church, I'm teaching the Word. I feel like a million dollars. And we get through here with everything. And by the time we get home and get out to the mission center, it's 11 o'clock. We have a real good day on Wednesday, on Sunday. You know, it starts early and works all day long. But I finally got home about 11. And so I usually start reading emails. We usually get about 100, 150, or 200 them over the weekend. So, you know, I'm trying to read emails and everything. And about 11, 12 o'clock, I'm sitting there at my desk reading emails. And all of a sudden, my left leg is on fire. What's wrong? I feel like I got ants in my boot. I pulled my bridge leg up, jerked the boot off, pulled my sock off, and from here to there, my leg is blood red. I mean blood red. And it's got big old red blood splotches all over it, which looks like if I touch it, it's going to start bleeding anywhere at any time. I said, this is just a devil. I said, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, Jesus I command you to get your filthy hands off of me. I just put my sock back on, put my boots back on, and went back to work. I worked till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and went to bed. Next morning about 7, Cheryl got up to go to the bathroom. I said, by the way, honey, I said, won't you turn the light on and check my left leg and see what it looks like this morning? She said, what's wrong with your leg? I said, I had a little attack from the enemy last night. I said, I want you to look at it. So she turned the light on and screamed. And grabbed hold of my leg, started saying, You devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. Now see, that's not a normal woman, is it? That's a, that's a woman that's spirit-filled. That's the kind of woman you want to have in your bed. <laughs> Guarantee. You want one that knows Jesus, right? That's right. And so anyway, uh, so she rebuked the devil. We prayed over it and everything. And then finally, I don't know, 9 or 10 o'clock, whatever it was that morning, I called Ty. I said, Ty, I want you to pray for me. I this thing ain't getting no better. I said, I want you to pray for me. He said, what's wrong? I said, well, my leg's kind of swelled up. It's kind of blood red, and it kind of looks awful. He said, I'll be right there. I said, no, no, no. That's what you, you, you live two hours from me. I said, just pray for me. No, no, no. I'm coming over there. Okay, okay. And so I called Eldon. I said, Eldon, I want you to pray for me. And I told him what happened. He said, I'll be right there too. I said, no, no. You guys just pray for me. He said, nope, I'm coming. So these guys, on the way out there, God's asking the Lord, Lord, what in the world is wrong with Thurman? And the Lord told him, so when you get out there, tell him you stopped by a Buddhist monk's uh, a temple down here, and they had an anointing oil, and if, you will allow, if he will allow you to anoint him with that oil, he will be healed. So when he comes in, he says, I stopped by a Buddhist temple on the way out here, and I, bought, I got a little bottle of oil. I want to anoint you with oil with that Buddhist oil. Can I do it? I said, absolutely not. 
And then the Lord revealed to me, you did that. That's exactly what you did. You let a man anoint you with oil that doesn't believe like you believe. He said, you have disobeyed me and you've been disobedient and you've opened the door to the devil. But God, I'm your favorite, right? <laughs> oh, you don't have any favorites, Lord? I'm sorry. <laughs> Surely God wouldn't allow me to come under that kind of attack, would He? Yes, He will. Well, did I learn anything? But now then I have a test. I have a leg that swelled up. And, of course, my good buddy over here. Too much doctor in him. He's determined what you have is life-threatening. He said, this could kill you. He said, if you, he said, I know you ain't going to the doctor. You ain't going to the hospital. He said, if you were a normal man, I'd take you to the hospital and we'd do surgery on you right now. But he said, I know you ain't going, are you? I said, absolutely not. I'm going to trust Jesus. Now, see, when it's your body, and you've just heard a statement like this, what you've got is life-threatening, you think, well, maybe we ought to go down and let the doctor look at it. Is that what we think? I mean, after all, he is a doctor, you know, and he does know what he's talking about. So when he makes a statement like that, now, I'm going to either believe God, you know, or I'm going to go to the doctor. And that's where we really miss it, when it's our flesh. Job's flesh, now, the problem with Job, he didn't have this problem because there wasn't no doctors out there. He's out in the middle of the desert. He couldn't go down to the doctor, to the hospital. There is no hospitals out in the middle of that desert where Job was living. So see, it made it a little easier for him. But you and me got hospitals on every corner, right? I mean, everywhere. You can get to the hospital anywhere in this necroplex within 10 or 15 minutes. You know? So... The devil, easy. Oh, you fool. Oh, you better, you better listen to what he said. You know, he said, what you got is life-threatening. He's telling me the truth. What I got is life-threatening. And that's my leg. And I don't want to die. So what am I going to do? Am I going to trust God? That, we'll find out, won't we? Well, I, hey, there was no question in my mind. I mean, after the Lord had revealed to him, when he walked in and said, I stopped by and bought this bottle of oil, you know, from a Buddhist temple. And if you let me anoint you with that and pray for you, you will get healed. Boy, I said, you ain't going to put no Buddhist oil on me. (laughs) So the Lord, he he put me to the test there, didn't he, Ty? He did. He put me to the test. Well, I mean, and of course, it did look awful, I will have to say. And I said, I'm, I'm okay. I'm just going to trust Jesus. I'm going back to work. And of course, like I said, too much doctor in Ty. He said, well, at least, Thurman, go over to the house, lay down, put you a couple of pillows down and put your leg up on it and let the blood circulate. At least stay off of it a couple of days. Now, okay, I will do that. So I will do that. So I go over and I get on the bed and I'm laying there. And for a man like me that wants to go do something all the time, you know how long two days is to lay to do nothing. That's an eternity. So I'm reading the Word. I'm doing everything. And after that second day, I'm saying, God, Lord, this thing's not looking a whole lot better, Lord. Lord, I mean, I've repented of every sin. I've repented of letting that guy lay hands on me. I've repented of everything, Lord. 
But Lord, what do I need to do? Why am I leg getting better? Uh, any of you all ever had that kind of question with God? See? Well, see, it happens the same way to me as it does to you. Now, you would think with the amount of faith that I have that I ought to just rebuke that thing and it ought to leave and ought to be instantly healed and it ought to be over. But no, God puts me to the test just like He does you. No difference. He's going to find out what I'm made out of. Really find out what I'm made out of. By the end of the second day, my leg don't look no better. The devil's saying, you're a fool. You're going to lose that leg. Now, you don't think that critter would whisper those sweet little things in your ear, do you? You reckon he would? Yes, he will. He's trying everything he can to deceive me. I'm standing on the Word. I said, Lord, Lord. I said, Lord, this can't be. I said, Lord, I ain't going there. You know, this book says that... And I said, I begin to quote the promises of God. I said, but Lord... You know, here I am, the man of faith, quoting the word. Doing, I said, but God, let's get down serious now. I need a word from you. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm coming from. That's my body that these words get <laughs> You know, so I'm telling you this to let you know that we're all human. And when the devil says, oh, let me put him to the death in his flesh, and I'll show you that he'll curse you to your face. Because any man will give anything for that piece of flesh he lives in. I've grown pretty accustomed to the piece of flesh. I kind of like it. Don't you like yours? Sure. You don't want to give it up at young age, do you? No. You don't want it to die in sickness and disease. And I didn't want mine to die with this thing like it was either. No. So I finally, after the second day, I said, Lord, I sure do need a word from you. And I can see the old devil saying, see, God, I'm getting through to him. I'm getting through to him. He's faltering. He's wavering. I said, Lord, I need a word. And I just thought, God, i got this whole book. This is all I need. I just threw it on the side of the bed right there where I was. And it just bam and fell open just like that. So I looked over there. Right there, my eyes fell on Matthew eight seventeen. Somebody tell me what Matthew 8.17 says. You want a word from God? He'll give it to you. But then you've got to believe it. I knew that verse inside out, but it's amazing. I could throw that Bible down and it could open Matthew 8 and I could look down there and my eyes didn't see nothing except Matthew 8.17. What does that say, young lady? This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Oh, is that a good word? Is that that's a good word, isn't it, brother? Who took that? Who did that for you and me? Jesus. Jesus. If Jesus took up my infirmities and He carried my diseases or my sicknesses, then why do I have to even be concerned? All I got to say, Lord, they're yours. I'm laying them in your. I'm casting or rolling all my cares over on you because I know you care for me. I'm trusting you completely. And so, it's all over. Done. I'm just going to go to sleep now and do exactly what I said. I'm just going to get a good night's rest. It's just the middle of the day, but I'm going to sleep right over. When I wake up in the morning, ain't going to be nothing wrong with my leg. And the next morning, I woke up and guess what? Now, my leg was perfect. Nothing wrong with my leg. But see, he was waiting to see if I was going to believe him, his words, or I was going to believe what I saw 
and that devil constantly whispering in my ear, "You fool! Look at what! The, look at this!" You know, you look down there, and there's that leg all swelled up, and it's blood red, and everything else. And your best brother told you that what you got is life-threatening in the flesh. <laughs> See, well, he's telling the truth. In the flesh. In the flesh. He's telling the truth in the flesh. He's a doctor. He knows this. So, I mean, of course, the devil's saying, you know, you heard what Ty said. You know, he said what you have is life-threatening. I said, yeah, in the flesh, that's true. Ty was telling me the truth. But I said, this just gives me one more opportunity to prove the Word of God is more powerful than what I see. Amen. I'm going to stand on the Word of God. And I said, Lord, if done, of course, I will have to say, you know, I was beginning to waver a little in that wind because I'm a human being. When I said, Lord, I sure do need another word from you. And that's when I threw that Bible after I said, I got the whole Bible. All the promises are mine. And then I just threw it down on the bed. And it just happened to accidentally flop open to Matthew 8. And I just happened to fall on Matthew 8, 17. He bore my infirmities and He removed my sickness and my disease. If He did it, what else do we need? Nothing. Nothing. That's absolutely right. Now then, how many of you are going to believe that? Hey, you're going to have to do it just like I did. You've got to believe it. Now then, let's go into some of these great and awesome promises in God's Word under this new covenant. When we get, we found out what causes sickness and disease, and we found out that God talks to us, He does all kinds of things, He tries to get our attention, and when He can't, even sends dreams and visions, then He sends sickness and disease to get our attention. And sometimes, even then, He don't get our attention. Some people just say, well, I'm suffering for Jesus. Have you ever heard that? Well, what a shame. You ain't suffering for Jesus. You're suffering because of your lack of knowledge of the promises of God's Word. He's trying to say, you've got to sin somewhere. Now, get rid of it. Now, let's go to the New Testament. And I want you to start. We're going to show you one thing that I've learned out of the New Testament that brings cancer on people's body. I've seen this many times. That wasting away that we saw in the book of Job there. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to start at verse 21. This is such a long scripture, I'll paraphrase it and quote it for you. 21 through 35. You'll read along with me if you want to. But Jesus and Peter is walking along. And Peter says, Lord, when my brother sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive him in a day? Up to seven times? He says, I mean, does that seem like a fair statement? If somebody sins against you seven times in one day? I mean, my goodness, who would expect me to forgive them more than seven times in one day? He says, seven times in one day? How about once? And after that, let's punch them out. Is that the way we do it? Yeah, that's the way we do it. Yeah, yeah. But that ain't God's way, is it? No. But how many of us as Christians, if they sin against us one time, we never forgive them? You don't know what He did to me. 
You don't know what she did to me. You don't know what they said to me. I mean, I always sat on the second row in the first seat, and I come in this Sunday morning, and there was another couple sitting there, and they know that's my chair. I ain't never going to forgive them for sitting in that chair. You know, I've had people leave church because of that. I'm serious. Boy, are we carnal in the church. Peter said, Lord, if my brother sins to give me seven now, he sits in that chair seven Sundays in a row. What am I supposed to do? Forgive him, right? Find you another chair. Find you another one. Peter said, seven times? Jesus said, no, Peter, not seven, but 70 times seven. He said, the reason it's so important that you forgive them so many times because the kingdom of God is like this. There was a king. Who do you think he's talking about? The Father. Yeah, the Father. He said there was a kingdom, and the king had servants. That's us. And one of those servants owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that's billions of dollars. In one of the translations I read, it interpreted 10,000 talents in today's money as $3.8 billion. Does anybody have a translation that has a little something out beside it? On that verse for 10,000 talents to tell you what the translation of that is in your Bible? Does anybody have anybody have one? Nobody, huh? Or it just says several. Well, one of them I found that had $3.8 billion. So anyway, it's a bunch of money. A bunch of money. And it says then, because he couldn't pay the debt, the king called him in and says, I want you to pay that debt. He said, I can't. He said, okay, because you can't pay that debt, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children and your houses and your lands and all that you own, I'm going to sell it all to pay it on your debt. Now, first of all, who's going to pay the price for this man's sin? Just him? Who? The wife? The children? His bank account? His cars, his house, everything is going to pay his debt, right? There's a message right there you need to lock on to. I mean, when you sin, you don't just hurt one person. Especially if it's unforgiveness. You hurt your whole family. And the man came to the master and says, as he worshipped the Lord, he said, if you will be patient with me, as he bowed down and worshipped him. Now, that's the first thing you do right when you worship the king. When you have a problem, you think he likes for you to bow down and worship him? I know he does. That's what this man did. He worshipped him. He said, Master, be patient and give me time and I will pay you all that I owe you. The king was very gracious. He said, because... Technically speaking, what he's saying here is because you're worshiping me, I'm going to just forgive that whole debt. What a debt, huh? Billions of dollars? How would you like to owe a debt like that? And you couldn't pay it. And the person you owed it to just said, oh, it's okay. I just forgive you. You don't owe me nothing. How would you like for somebody, how would you like for your home if you owe 100000 or quarter million or half a million or whatever you own on your home? How would you like for the people to come and say, I'm just going to give you your house? Would that make you happy? Sure it would. Even if you had to owe 50000 on it, it would make you happy, wouldn't it? Sure. And that's what this man did. 
he was forgiven by the king. And it says, so this man went out and found another person that owed him $3,000. And he says he reached up and grabbed that person around the neck. He said, pay me what you owe me. And the man said, be patient with me. I will pay you all. He says, no, I will not be patient with you. Shaking him down on his knees. The guy's begging. He says, pay me all right now or I'm going to throw you in jail. He said, be patient with me and I'll pay you. He said, no. Can you pay me? He said, no. He said, throw him in jail. What a nice guy. This guy's just been forgiven billions of dollars. Now a guy owes him a few little thousand and he's not going to forgive him. I'm not even going to give him time to pay it. Throw him in jail. It says some of the other servants saw what that servant done. They went back to the master and said, Master, that servant that you forgave that huge debt, he would not forgive a man a little tiny debt. And the king was angry. He says, call in that wicked servant. Now, all of a sudden, you have become a wicked servant. He called him in and said, because didn't I forgive you that huge debt? Just because you asked me? Yes. Then why did you not forgive your brother that little tiny debt? Now, because you did not forgive him, neither will I forgive you that big debt you owe me. In fact, I'm going to turn you over to the torturers. The tormentors. Who do you think that is? Satan and his demons. Who's going to turn you over to him? God is. I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors until you pay me every penny you owe me. Now, how many years is it going to take you to pay God back everything you owe Him? You ain't going to live that long. Then verse 35, Jesus makes an awesome statement. He says, Peter, this is the way my heavenly Father will do each of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. So who's going to turn us over to the devil? God. You get into unforgiveness and everything starts going wrong and people seem to never put these two together. They're out there and everything's going wrong. Their life's falling apart. Their children are, are getting off on drugs. You know, their wife is sick or he's sick or, or their car breaks down. Buy a brand new car and drive it 40,000 miles and it's got a 36,000 mile warranty and a $2,000 transmission falls out of it at 40,000 miles, which should have lasted for 150,000 miles. Why is it I can't do nothing right? You know, why is it, why does my washing machine break every two years and it's got a two year warranty? Why can't it break in a year and a half? Why does it wait two years and one day? Why does everything go wrong with me? Well, you're under a curse. I'm not under a curse. My son has a car wreck. I got him a car and he wrecked it. And then I'm trying to fix it and I'm letting him drive my van and he wrecks it before I get his car fixed. What is wrong with us? You're under a curse. A curse from God. Ah, I don't believe that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. you got some kind of a curse. You go to church? Well, I don't go very often. I don't have time to go to church. Do you tithe? Tithe? No, I don't even have, I don't even have no, I don't tithe at all. Do you know? God says, do you like a thief? 
You wouldn't like a thief coming in your house and stealing something out of your house? You wouldn't bless them if they come back every day and sold a little something? You wouldn't give them a little something else? You know what God calls you if you don't tithe? Calls you a thief. A thief. Isn't that awful? You think God's going to bless you? I don't believe in tithing. Okay, don't tithe. You ain't going to get your prayers answered. If when everything goes wrong, everything falls apart, and your financial world don't make it, hey, don't cry, cry on my shoulder. Go cry on God and repent, tell Him you're sorry, and start catch up. You know, get back, get back in there and start tithing. I mean, God commands you to tithe. People say that's in the Old Testament. Well, in Matthew chapter 23 and in Luke 17, the King clearly says in both of those New Testament chapters that we are to tithe in all things that we have. We are to tithe. Matthew 23, 23. Somebody, uh, that other than Luke 17, 41, I believe. I'm not sure. But I know the one on Matthew 23, 23. That's easy for me to remember. Somebody turn to Matthew 23 and 23 and see if God commands you to tithe in Matthew 23, 23. Just see what that verse says. Maybe you don't, maybe I don't read it like you do. What did he say there? You got that young lady? What does it say? What are you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You give tenth, a tenth of your spices, mean, deal, and common, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guide, you strain out a gnat, but Okay, so does anybody get the picture out of that that we're supposed to tithe right there? Do you get that picture? You get that, do you, brother? I got that picture too. And of course, I think the other was Luke 17 something. I think it was 41. I'm not sure. But anyway, wherever it was over in Luke, it says the same thing. So that's two different ones. But uh, if we are disobedient and don't do what God tells us, then He's not going to bless you because if you're a thief, God's not going to bless a thief. You know, so let me throw this in. He makes a statement over in the book of Revelation that no thieves shall inherit the kingdom of God. So what if you're not a tither? What if you don't give God 10%? And what if you were to get to the door of heaven one day and He says, you didn't tithe. I told you to tithe. He said, you didn't tithe. But God, I'm washed in the blood. He said, yeah, I know you're washed in the blood, but you're a thief. And I said, no thief shall inherit the kingdom of God. So, down yonder with you. What would you feel like? Would that be a pretty heavy price to pay? I don't want to put him to the test, do you? No. I want to give. He said, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, running over. That's why this ministry, we don't have to worry about tithing. We give away everything. You give away that teaching. We give away the poems. We give away the materials. We give away everything. We don't charge nobody for nothing. It all goes back into the kingdom of God with us. We don't keep nothing. You can't hardly tithe more than that, can you? That's what you call giving everything you have to the king. But the king continues to pay our bills. Isn't that amazing? That he would honor his word. Give and it shall be given unto you. Luke six thirty eight. Give and it shall be given unto you. 
Press down, shaking together, running over, shall man get man given to your bosom. Because with the same measure you use to give, it shall be returned unto you. Now the king made that statement. Now then, if we get back to the part there where he sends the tormentor to torment you in Matthew eighteen twenty one through thirty five, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, when I first got a hold of this, I began to see men, a lot, especially men, but a few women, but mostly it was men. I would find men in the hospital on their deathbed, as a rule, and when I would find out what their sin was, it was unforgiveness. And then one day I run into a unique case. This really taught me a great lesson. There was a Baptist deacon in the hospital on his deathbed. The man was about 60 years old, and he had had cancer for several years, and they had done everything they could do to him. And now the radiation that they'd just done had burned a hole in his colon. And so the doctor said, it's over. There's nothing we can do. And of course, the reason they quit doctoring him because his insurance ran out. And they'd already got all of his money. I think he had a, like half a million dollars or a million dollars, whatever it was, maximum. And they'd used it all in the last eight or ten years. And they don't have no more money, so they don't want to do nothing for you now. So they say, there's no hope. We just send you home. We burn a hole in your colon with radiation, so in a couple of weeks you'll be dead. Nothing we can do. Or his son came to me and said, Thurman, what do you think? I said, there's a sin here. We've got to find it. I said, tell me about your daddy. He said, my daddy is a Baptist deacon. He said, he is a Sunday school teacher, or was. That he is the kindest, gentlest man I ever saw in my life. I said, your daddy wouldn't hold a grudge against nobody? Absolutely not. I said, well, tell me about your mother. He said, Thurman, mother's not sick. I said, don't make any difference. When a man... And a woman get married, the two become how many? You've read that, haven't you? I said, so it can be your mother that's the problem with making your daddy sick. Now, this is something that most people don't believe. But in the spiritual realm, this is the way it works. So I said, tell me about your mother. He said, now, Mama is an entirely different situation. Said, Mama holds grudges against everybody. Everybody. I said, There's your problem. He said, I mean, wait a minute. If mother is the one who has the grudges, why is daddy the one sick? I said, You told me your daddy was a wonderful Baptist deacon, a Sunday school teacher. You said your mother just went to church. She was not a spiritual authority in the church of no kind. She's just there. He said, That's true. I said, Then it's real easy. Since Satan has legal claim to them because of her sin, naturally he's going to take out the one that's doing God's work first. Does that make sense? Sure. Why take her out? She's the one giving him the legal right to be there. But this man over here, loving, kind, gentle, wanting to go to church, wanting to teach the Word, he can't do that if he's got cancer and he's afflicted. Scary, isn't it? So I told him, I said, your mother's not going to believe this, so don't go tell her what I told you. Because she ain't going to believe this as a Baptist. But I said, you take Mark 11, 25 and 26. Now Jesus, in Mark 11, 23 and 24, He made us two awesome promises, didn't He? We've just been through Mark 11, 23 a couple of times already today, but Mark 11, 24... Is another awesome promise from God. 
Now see, most people don't believe that. Mark 11.24, what does the king say? Mark 11.24 says, Whatever you desire, whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you have received it, and it shall be yours. Now that's under the new covenant. That's under the new covenant that Jesus gives you as one of His children. What kind of promise is that? What did He say you could desire? Whatever. What's the, what's the limitations with whatever? There's nothing. Whatever you desire. When you pray, all you got to do is believe you've received it. And it's yours. It's a promise from the King. Is that written, right? It's written. But right after that, He says, But when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. I wonder why he would make a statement like that right after he made this awesome promise. Because he knows what will keep you from getting it. Well, see, if you've got a grudge against somebody and you come and see that promise and you stand on it, it ain't going to work for you. Well, the king is not going to hear your prayer when you're living in some kind of sin. And if you've got a grudge against someone, is that sin? Absolutely. So, when you stand praying, forgive. But if you do not forgive, if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. That's verse 26. Now, that if you happen to have an NIV, that 26 is not in your Bible. They took it out. That's, why I, that's one of the many reasons I quit using an NIV. I do not use it for a study Bible. I use it as a reference. Used to. I don't use it much at all. Uh, this new Bible experience they come out with, which is a great teaching. Have any of you heard any of the new Bible experience? This dramatized version that T.D. Jakes and his church down there put together? It's a fantastic teaching, but it's based all around the NIV. But it's great. It's great, but don't use it as a doctrine because it's got too many verses left out. I don't, I'm amazed that they used that. I'm amazed that they used all of that 200 people and did all the things they did where the translation has that many errors in it. But they did. But it's beautiful. I would have to say, I got a copy of it. Not only got a copy, I guess Cheryl, she's bought a dozen of them, I guess. You know, and she's given to everybody, all of our friends. It is a great, I have one in my car. I listen to it all the time. It's great. It's a good teaching. The Bible is dramatized. It's really nice. The thing costs $49. You know, they got 20% off, so you get about $40-something. But we bought three copies the other night. It's $119 for three of them. You know, but it's good. I want to say it's good. But it does have some things left out. But verse 26, verse 26 is not very important anyway, is it? Minor detail there. It only says if you don't forgive, neither will I forgive you. So that's not very important, is it? No, that's just minor. So if you left that out, you could miss you could miss some serious stuff. God says clearly there, if you do not forgive, neither will I forgive you. You think that's serious stuff? That's very serious stuff. So when you come to God, this will this not forgiving someone will put sickness and disease upon you. Now, this older gentleman, that 60 years, five or 60, 65 years old, whatever he was, that had this cancer, and because of his wife's unforgiveness, when I told him, I said, you tell her to go by that. Now, that's pretty clear, isn't it? 
God just said, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. Now, that's pretty clear. I told the man, tell his mother. I said, you tell your mother, Mom, right there, you've got to forgive them aunts and uncles and cousins. If you don't, God ain't going to forgive you. He said so right there. So he went to his mother and told her, said, Mother, you raised me up to believe this book is God's Word, you and Daddy. But, Mama, you're not obeying this Word yourself. I'm fine. What's this? I said, well, look here. You know, you got these grudges against so-and-so? Well, yeah, but son, they did this and that. He said, don't make any difference. God says right here, if you don't forgive them, neither will He forgive you. Wow. She said, I never saw that. Amazing how we missed that, isn't it? So she forgave all those people. And then I told the man, I said, now then that your mother has asked and went and asked forgiveness of all these people and she's asked God to forgive her and she's taken away the devil's legal right. I said, now then, you call your daddy's Baptist preacher. Have him bring a few of the deacons in and have them stand on this mighty promise of James chapter 5, verse 14, 15, and 16. Now, if you don't know what James 5, 14, 15, and 16 says under the covenant today, let's turn over there and I want you to see it. You need to see these promises in your word to build your faith in what God says He will do. I've come to realize God don't He, he don't He don't play with sin. I mean, you know, if you got sin in your life, man, He'll do. He'll wipe you out. He's patient and long suffering, but He will wipe you out. He will bring devastation to you. He'll do all kinds of things. But if you repent, He'll heal you. James five fourteen. Look at this. James chapter five verse fourteen. Is any sick among you? Now, who does that include? I mean, that's just what it is. any sick among you, let him or her call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him and anoint him with oil. And the prayer offered in faith, if it's God's will, will save some of the sick. Oh, that's not the way your Bible read. Well, I mean, I've seen it done like that lots of times. Nothing ever happened. But that's not what it says, is it? It says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint him with oil. And the prayer offered in faith will. Is that what it said? Will heal the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven. So therefore, confess your faults. Who? One to another, so that you may be healed. Is that what it says? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Is that what it says? The fervent prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and it brings forth great results, doesn't it? Now then, where are you going to find these righteous men? Where are you going to find these men that believe God's Word? There's not many of them out there today. I think it's time we become those people, don't you? Men and women of faith. I mean, if God said it, I mean, the very first man I ever prayed over, 27, 21 years ago, we used that verse, and he was a 42-year-old Baptist man, had stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer, and was using that verse, in faith God healed the man, and today he's still alive and has never had any cancer since that. That's 21 years ago. 21 years ago, he was on his deathbed with Mayo Clinic, MD Anderson, and Louisville Hospital said, it's over, you've got a few weeks to live. 21 years ago. We took that verse 
prayed over him. God healed him. But here we got this man that I told this son, I said, you take that verse. That's a guarantee from God to heal your daddy now that the sin. He said, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Had they confessed their faults? Yes, they did. Now, they get his Baptist deacon, Baptist deacon, and his Baptist preacher. And I said, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. I'm just going to tell you what to do. You all go do it, and I'm going to show you that God's going to heal your daddy. See, when got the, after the mother confessed the sins, the Baptist preacher, and I told him, I said, now be sure that when you pray, you don't pray. Now, God, if it be your will. What did he say his will was right there? That he will. That he will. So, Lord, it, your will is you will heal us. Now, see, he says, if you don't do something in faith, he said the prayer of what? The prayer of faith? Okay, so turn back to the chapter 1 of James and read verse 6 and 7 and see what happens if you don't pray that prayer in faith. James 1, 6 and 7. Somebody, as we get back, read that in your Bible and tell me what he says he will not do in verse 6 and 7 of James 1. If you don't pray in faith, what's God going to do for you? And what, what does he say? That he won't do nothing. You have to but when you ask me, you must ask in faith, faith nothing no doubting. doubting. Nothing doubting and no wavering. Because he said, if you doubt or if you waver, you're double-minded and unstable in all your ways, and let not that person think, I, the Lord, will do anything for you. Is that what he said? So, if you're going to pray something, do you need to pray it in faith? You need to get away from this old faith-destroying phrase. In God, if it be your will? You need to get away from that stupid thing, because you ain't going to get much from God. If you don't study the Word to find out what His will is, then you ain't going to get much from the king. He made those promises. I didn't, I, I didn't write the book. I just have to obey the book. Just like you do. He made some pretty awesome statements in there, didn't he, young lady? Yes, he did. He expects us to be holy and believe him, right? And then if we do, he forgives us. Well, they got a group of deacons together, the pastor, and they anointed Mr. Slagle with oil years ago. That's been years ago. And the man that had one week to live, with a hole burning his colon in one week without any kind of surgery or anything was completely healed and totally, completely normal again in one week. Now then, when the son came to me and said, Thurman, this is almost unbelievable. Why, why is the Word of God almost unbelievable? It's because of doubt. You know, so... Anyway, he said, you know, this is the most awesome thing I've ever seen. You know, he said, Dad's healed now. Praise God. He said, he's feeling great. And, but he said, well, we've got one problem. I said, what's that? He said, the dead mom spent all their money, all their insurance money, and they're in debt so deep they won't never get out. They will, Dad won't live long enough to, to make enough money to pay off all these bills. <laughs> I said, well, tell you what to do. I said, have your mom and dad sit down and write all those doctors and all those hospitals and ask them for mercy. First of all, tell them what you learn from God's Word and explain your miracle and how your daddy got healed from God's Word. And I said, see what they'll do. So they wrote the letter and sent the same letter to every one of them. Every doctor and the hospitals 
replied within a matter of weeks, which is unheard of. And all of them but one said it was the most awesome story they'd ever heard. And every one of them but one said, we forgive your death. You don't owe us a dime. Every one of them but one doctor. One doctor said, I, this is the most awesome thing. I don't believe this. The only way I'll believe this is if you come in and let me check you. So Mr. Slagle goes in, in perfect health, walks in, and the doctor gives him a full checkup. And at the end of the checkup, he said, Mr. Slagle, I will have to say, this has got to be the most awesome miracle I've ever seen. He said, there's not a hole in your colon. There's not any cancer in your body. You are totally, completely healed. He said, I'm going to tell you what, sir. I've never seen a miracle like this, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to forgive all of your death that you owe me, but if you ever need a doctor again till you do die, you come see me and I'll do it for free. <laughs> Isn't God wonderful? Isn't the king wonderful? Now, all those years of suffering and all that money he paid out that he suffered, did he have to suffer that? What had to be changed so he wouldn't have to suffer that? The unforgiveness had to be taken care of. Now then, if the church would believe God's Word, we wouldn't have no unforgiveness in our life, would we? Would you hold a grudge against anybody? No. <laughs> you know what some of the church say? You say, how many of you got a grudge against somebody? Hold up your hand. Somebody says, I got a grudge against somebody who did this to me. Okay, you wouldn't forgive them? Nope. I'm not going to forgive them. Would you like to get even with them? Yep, I'm going to get even with them somehow. <laughs> Let me tell you, you don't have a clue what you're saying. You don't have a clue what you're doing. You have turned yourself and your family and your assets over to the torture. How many of you would like for God to turn you over to the devil? If there's anything I don't want to hear, it's from the back of my mind, God says, son, you're sinning. Devil, go get him. He's yours. And his whole family and everything else is yours. You have right to them. And if God sent him, you're going to have trouble getting the devil out. You see where I'm coming from? So when that sickness and disease comes upon you, upon your children, everything you have, and you're crying out to God, God, why me? He says, you get rid of that unforgiveness, and then we'll talk. And there's a lot of people sick and afflicted today because they don't believe those promises. They don't believe them. But they're in there. Now that you get rid of those, you get rid of those, now that you start walking in love. God says, I command you to love one another. Well, people that are easy to love, it's easy to love. But you take one or two in the church, there's a few of y'all that's not too easy to love. I guess there's times when all of us are not too easy to love. Right? There's days, we all have our days, you know, some days, some days out the ministry, they say, wow, he's happy. And other days they say, don't get close to the pastor today. There must be something wrong. <laughs> I'm a human being. Like everybody else, I try to love them. I try to walk in love, but I mean, every once in a while, I do let the crazy little pressures of the world get under my skin. Uh, but I'm a human, and that's unfortunate. But once you start walking in the love walk, now then, that promise we just read there a while ago, if you have a sickness in your body, is that a promise that will get you healed? Does James 5 get you healed? Sure it will, provided you pray in faith. Now, will it heal you instantly? Probably not. It could. But will it heal you? Now, Vernon Cannon came here a few months ago 
to a healing school from Hobbs, New Mexico. And he was born 77 years ago with dyslexia. Dyslexia, you can't read. So he came up to me after the healing school and said, Pastor, do you think God can heal dyslexia? I said, no, sir. I know he can. I mean, there ain't no problem with God. He can do anything. He said, well, you pray for me. I said, yes. I prayed for him. That's the Lord. I rebuked that spirit. He, I said, you repented of every sin? Oh, yeah. He said, I repented of every sin. No, 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 no. My wife has too. I said, okay. So I prayed for him. And he said, what do I need to do? I said, Just go and start saying, Mark eleven twenty three. whatever you say with your mouth, you believe in your heart, you can have it. So start saying, I can read perfect in the name of Jesus. So he started out that day. He gets out the door. I can read perfect. He said, you can read? He said, well, no. But I'm saying it. Well, the next day he wakes up. Praise God, I can read. You know, I can just see here and now say, you can read today. No, not really. But yes, I can read. Praise God. Because I'm saying. Well, after a few days, you know, she so don't question it no more, right? You know, I can read. Praise God. I can read. Thank you, Jesus. I can read. But two and a half months later, he's standing there in a worship service on Sunday morning looking up. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I can read perfect. And all of a sudden, he said, the screen became bright. The words all came in light. And I could read. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. I can read. I mean, you know, ain't nobody takes this, you know, no different. He's been saying it so long now, you know. So he goes to dinner and he, thank you, Lord. I can read the menu. And he orders off the menu. Nobody even thinks nothing about it. He gets home. Thank you, Lord, that I can read. Thank you. Walks up. Honey, I can really read. Oh, yeah, sure you can. Okay, yeah, no problem. Yeah. He said, no, I really can read. She gets the Bible and I said, okay, read that line right there. And he reads it and his wife of 52 years goes berserk. She sees her husband for the first time in his entire life of 77 years read the Bible. They came back. A few weeks later, to a Tuesday night Bible study, drove from Hobbs in Mexico all day long to give that testimony. Tuesday night at Bible study. Of course, after Ty heard him, he said, Thurman, that's a miracle that only God can do. He said, there ain't no doctor in the world can heal dyslexia. It cannot be healed by man. To think that that man could not read for 77 years, and now he can read perfect. What can God do? Everything. All you got to do is believe Him. Now see, this is where we miss it. We pray and we walk out the door and you don't feel no better. How you feel? Well, I feel awful. Do you think God healed you? Well, I don't know. I sure hope so. Maybe He did. Maybe maybe it's not His will to heal me. You didn't get nothing and you ain't going to get nothing because you don't have no faith. You see where I'm coming from? you got to believe like Vernon did. You, Thank you, Lord, that I can read perfect. You know, thank you. <laughs> you want to say something, Ty? I'm going to give you a mic. So you, you. No, I was just going to say, tell him the other half, after his wife saw this, after his wife saw this, she, she, she was so astounded, she said, I want this same thing. So they came and wanted to come and pray for her that night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whenever they came back, she told me, she said that morning we woke up, she said, I'd hurt my wrist three weeks before. And said, my wrist was in excruciating pain. And she said, we had both prayed and prayed over my wrist, and nothing got better. Now, she woke up that morning with her husband and said, honey, it's time we go to Dallas. She said, I've been hurting for three weeks. We're going to come to Dallas. I'm going to have Thurman pray for me tonight at Bible study, and I know when he touches me in the name of Jesus, Jesus is going to heal me. Do you hear anything right in her confession? 
They drive all the way from Hobbs, New Mexico. They're serious. They pull in that door at 10 minutes till 7. And she walks up to me and says, Pastor, I've been in pain for three weeks. I know if you'll just pray for me in Jesus' name, He will heal me. I reached up and just put my hand on her and said, In the name of Jesus. And bam, she was instantly healed. The pain was gone. She began to jump. And she gave her testimony that night. And when they left, she said, This is awesome. For three weeks I've hurt, and now I don't hurt at all. And my husband's healed and everything else. Isn't that awesome? We were both here that night. Praise God, we got to see Jesus do all those wonderful things. Now then, if you believe and you're willing to pay that price, and that's just like today, you know, a lot of people would have said, hey, it's icy and it's bad. You don't mean to tell me you're going to drive an hour to go to a healing school. I said, I, if I'm the only one there, I will be there. But i got a feeling there's going to be some dedicated Christian that's just as silly as I am that's going to get out of that ice and so and going to drive to a healing school. I believe they love Jesus that much. Yeah, we believe in Jesus that much. And Jesus honors your faith. Like that. He watches us. He loves us. He wants to do good for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But He's a God of judgment too. So when we walk in obedience to His Word and come to Him in faith after we've repented of our sins, He wants to heal His people. And that's what we get to see Him do here. Just like Vernon. He wanted to heal Vernon. But He was doing something in Vernon. Vernon's got to walk in love. He's got to quote the Word. He's got to speak it. And then finally, two and a half months later, standing there in that church saying, Lord, I want to thank You. I can read them words perfect. I can just hear Jesus whispering in His ear. You really finally believe that, Vernon. And now then, bam! Yeah, He went from there to there. And wow! I really can read, Lord! Isn't that awesome? But we get to see God do all kinds of those wonderful things. He is an awesome God. So, when you come up here for prayer, the first thing you need to do is make sure you've got every sin in your life repented of. Even those sins of unbelief. Those sins of unbelief are the promises of God will keep you sick. It will make you sick. You get rid of those. And you come up here saying, Lord, I repent of every sin known and unknown. Lord, now I'm standing on Your promises. You take one of these promises. I mean, there is many promises to get healed. We quoted, I'll quote a couple more before we start praying for people. In John 15, 7, what does that say? I want you to look it up in your Bible. John 15, 7. Look at that awesome promise. And it has a requirement in front of it. That big word is in the front. If you remain in me. What was that big word? If. If, if you remain in me. And my words remain in you, then you can ask me for a few things. A few things. A few things. Anything. Now, isn't that amazing that God would make us a promise like that? Then you can ask me for what? While you're right there in John 15:7, when you see that great promise, turn just a little bit. Turn back to John 14. 13 and 14, and see what the Lord said in John 14, 13, 14. I've seen God do things with all these verses. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that this will be on the tape. This is such a powerful... What does He say there in John 14, 13 and 14? And I will do whatever you ask in My name, 
so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, wait a minute. If we've got a book that Jesus wrote that's got these kind of promises in it, why don't we stand on these promises more often? Why, we're dumb. <laughs> this precious little daughter of the king shaking her head saying, we are dumb. <laughs> it is sad, isn't it? It is sad. That's the problem. You know, that's the problem. Now then, if you know that, you can come to the king and say, Lord, I repent of everything, known and unknown. I'm asking you, Father, in Jesus' name. You made me a promise right here. So, And you said, oh, you said you would do this. But the devil says, but you know, his answers are only yes every once in a while. How do you know that? Oh, where is that verse that tells me the promises of God are yes and amen every time? Where is that? The devil says, oh, that's a lie. You heard somebody say that. But you don't know where that's at. Where is it? Somebody tell me where the promise is at in God's Word that says, no matter how many promises God made you, every time the answer is yes, every time. Where is that? 2 Corinthians 18. 2 Corinthians? Chapter? 1. Verse 20. Verse 20. Okay, let's see if she's right. Let's see if she's got her notes out of her Bible right. <laughs> Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and see what God said about His promises. How many times are His promises yes, and how many times are they no? What does He say? We'll let this little daughter... When you, you, you got it? Oh, you haven't got it? Okay, who has got it? I'll let you read it. Let me go back here. This gentleman here, he's got it. What, read that to me, brother. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Wow! Wow! So how many times when the devil comes and says, Oh, but you old unworthy critter, you... God would never allow you to have such a great blessing like anything you ask in His name. What do you got to tell the devil? Oh, the word, devil, it is written. It is written. And when you do that, and you got the word in your heart, and you come against the devil, and the devil flees, God pats you on the head and says, My daughter, you've come up to another level of faith. That's where I want you. Now get back in my word, because the next time the test is going to be bigger. You don't think God's going to let you off, do you? No, He's not going to let you off. What, he's, what is He doing to us? He's conforming us into whose image? Into His image. And was He perfect in everything? Ooh! So He can't give you one little test and pat you on the head and say, that's all the tests I'm going to give you because you're my precious little daughter. Now, He's no respecter of person. Male or female, you're going to be put to the test. Get used to it. You're going to get put to the test. You know, people say, I don't like these tests. Okay, but you're going to get them. They're coming. Guarantee it. And the quicker you pass them, don't be like the children of Israel that grumbled and complained. How many years they walk around that mountain? Forty years. And then they all died in the wilderness. None of them got to come out there and go to the promised land except just a handful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh man. I mean, of course... I don't know how many, it doesn't say how many went down into that, you know, before they got to that, but because of their grumbling and complaining, 
many of them, yeah, Korah's rebellion, you know, that's when God opened the ground and many of them fell. Men, women, children, and everything fell to their death into the flames of hell and then the ground closed right back over the top of them. All because of grumbling and complaining. You don't want to go there, do you? No, no, I don't want to go there. So you want to walk in love and be obedient. And if you walk in love and be obedient and do what the king says, then that's what that promise is. My words remain in you. And if you remain in me, then you can come ask me for anything. And in that John 14, 13 and 14, again, a double whammy back to back where he says we can ask for anything. And in one more, turn to John 16, 23 and 24. And let's see this promise because you need lots of these promises. You need to know that God has made you these promises. If you're obedient, these things will all work for you. So turn to John 16, 23 and 24. And let's... <laughs> see what that great promise says when we get over that do you have that one young lady yes. can you mind reading that one in that day you will no longer ask me anything I'll tell you the truth my father will give you whatever you ask in my name until now you have not asked for anything in my name ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete Amen. what kind of promise is that young lady awesome <laughs> see that's the two promises I use for Kelly when she was in the hospital with her head busted open and her little pelvis crushed, you know, and the doctor said, you know, if she lives, she'll have brain damage. And uh, it'll take her two and a half to three months before she can start walking again. Now, she was, he was looking at that totally from a physical, worldly standpoint. And what he was looking at was true. It was going to be that long before she could walk. And she might not even live. But if she did, she'd have brain damage because her head was all tore open. But with a promise like John 16, 23, and 24, if I'm walking in obedience to His Word, walking in faith, what did He say I could ask for? Anything. What? Anything. Do you think the king really believes, means what he says, sir? If the king really means what he says, and i got a little girl laying there tore all to pieces, and i got a promise like that, and a God that nothing's impossible, what should I ask for? I should ask like this, oh God, please, if it be your will, will you please heal little Kelly? No, that ain't the way to do it, is it? Father, thank you, Lord, you said in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you made me a promise in John 16, 23, and 24. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to do such a mighty miracle of healing on little Kelly that everybody will know only you could have done it. Lord, I don't want her to walk in two and a half months. I want her to walk and run and play and nothing flat. I want, I don't want no brain damage. I want that little head healed up. I want every brain cell in there to be perfect. And I want her to be perfect running and playing such record time that there'll be no question in nobody's mind. Only you could have done it. Thank you, Lord. It's done in Jesus' name. Guaranteed. She'll do a, he'll do a great and mighty work on her in the name of Jesus. And everybody think, what a nut. But in one week, she's out of ICU. One more week, she's out of the hospital walking with a walker. And three days later, the walker's thrown away. And two and a half total weeks, she's back in school running and playing like nothing ever happened. Who showed up for her reckon? The devil? God. The king of the universe honored his word one more time. He made you and me as his sons and daughters under the new covenant a book full of absolutely fantastic promises. And why do we not use them? You had the answer a while ago. We're so dumb. Lord, we repent for being dumb, right? From this day forward, we're going to start standing on your promises, right? No doubt. We don't go by what we see. You have no idea how many days 
I sit there looking at my granddaughter and her tore all to pieces and the devil saying, she ain't going to get well. She's never going to walk again. And I'm saying, but Jesus said. And I'm reading the Word. And of course, last night, we had her ninth birthday party. Last night, she was nine years old. And Cheryl and me got her some little things. Of course, she's over tearing open them presents, you know. And of course, her little brother, Preston, you know, he's normal little boy. You know, he's only about three. But uh, she's got all the gifts over there. Of course, he's sitting over. He can't wait. He wants to tear them open too, you know. Well, they're not his. <laughs> but that's kids. But I sat there and watched that and I thought, wow, God. I am seeing a miracle right before my very eyes. I'm seeing a precious little nine-year-old girl running and playing and enjoying life because of you and your power. I said, Lord, I am so grateful that I serve the King of kings and Lord of lords and that He's a miracle-working God. Are we grateful? But now then, if I hadn't known these promises, she would have died. If I hadn't studied this book, she would have died. Kelly might have died too. But if I hadn't studied the book, Kelly might have had brain damage. She would definitely still have them scars on her head. And it would have taken her three months to start walking again with a walker. But because I'd studied the book in two and a half weeks, back in school running and playing. Do we serve an awesome Jesus, Susan? We serve an awesome Jesus. All you got to do is make... How many you got to make happy on this earth? One. Who is it? God. How are you going to make Him happy? Obey His Word. Study it. Obey it. Walk in love. Do exactly what He says. And I can assure you, then when the trials and tests, when they come, which they still come, He'll still send them. But you, if you've got the Word hidden in your heart, you can pass through those things with nothing flat. You know, you can just go right on. Isn't God wonderful? When you learn the way He works, when you learn His principles, you learn who He is and how He's doing things, you know what to expect in life. You know it's not going to be a bed of roses. You know He's training you, conforming you into the image of His Son. So when the trials and tests come, like I used this example this couple a while ago, if every couple could get a hold of the fact that whenever your wife walks up to you, and says, I don't like what you've been doing. I want a divorce. You look at her. You say, come over here. What are you going to do? You walk over and you grab her around the arm and say, Ooh, you're the most beautiful thing I ever see. I sure do love you. I don't know what I've done that offended you, but I want to repent. And I'm going to say I'm going to be the best husband you ever had in your life. I'm going to love you so many ways. And she's struggling to get loose. You say, I ain't going to let you lose. I'm going to hold you because I love you. Just hold her and love her. Now, if you did that all the time, you wouldn't have to worry about her wanting a divorce. And if the woman would do what she's supposed to do, you wouldn't have to worry about your husband leaving. You know, you've got to do it God's way. If you'll love each other and do what God says and realize these are just trials and tests. We're going to pass this test. We ain't going to go there. But I'm going to tell you, every one of you is going to have them. There's not a man and woman in this room that's been married that hadn't had trials and tests in your marriage. Some of you didn't pass the test. Some of you failed it. That's why some of you are divorced or why some of you are single. You didn't pass the test. You need to get smart. You need to start reading the Word and stop being dumb, right? Why do we not have any of these things? Because we don't read the book, right? 
when you read the book and you do it God's way, you'll see He'll do great things. Father, in the name of Jesus, another Saturday afternoon at 5 o'clock. Lord, how wonderful Your Word is. A magnificent book that You've given us. And Lord, thank You that You're the God that forgives all of our iniquities in Psalm 103, and You're the God that heals all of our diseases. Lord, help us to walk in obedience to Your Word so we don't have to have no diseases. Because, Lord, walking in divine health is better than needing to be healed. I've been both places. Lord, being sick is no fun. Lord, I just like Job said, I, was, I had sinned and it wasn't worth it. So, Lord, I don't want to sin no more. I want to walk holy and obedient to Your Word. I want to walk in love so I can see You do all these great and wonderful things that You do. I praise You, Father. I thank You and worship You for this day. Lord, may You lock all these words from Your Word in each one of these people's heart that they may know You and love You and serve You in a better way. And as they put You first, may You take them into a deeper place of revelation with Your Word than they have ever experienced. And I thank you and praise you for this beautiful day. And Lord, as the people come forth for all of us to pray for, as Ty and Cheryl, and, and Cheryl and I, my wife and I, and Ty and his wife is here, and Lord, as we pray for people, I ask you, Lord, to reveal to them exactly what their sin was so they can get it repented of. And Lord, as we pray the prayer of faith for them, I ask you to be merciful and forgive them and heal them just like you promised in your word. And I want to thank you for healing every person that comes up today in the name of Jesus. And Lord, for those that have been here before, that have already been healed, I want to thank you for healing all of them. I praise you and thank you for your word. And may you bless everyone as they leave here today. And they go, may they be better Christians today than they were when they came here. And may they be better every day so they can be conformed into your image and be just exactly like the King. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.